Nystrom, Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card, wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. Yeah, that's exactly what we should do. Run him up and fill him in. Then why don't you? The kids don't want it. They don't skate, they don't score, they don't hit, they don't fight, they float. They don't love to win. They don't hate to lose. The spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The puck drops and Bob Hunter goes right to King Blackenbaum. But just a minute, Al Arbor has won four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. This is Coliseum Chronicles The Penalty Box, your source for Islanders Enforcer Talk. Proud member of the Hockey Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Joe Lazito. And welcome to episode 146. We're dipping back into the lost episodes. These are episodes that didn't... Well, I I shouldn't say that. I'm going to correct myself already. We're 10 seconds in. These episodes were not lost when I joined the Hockey Podcast Network. For some reason, they were lost once I started accumulating episodes on my old platform. So uh, it's not the Hockey Podcast Network fault. It's not the um, platform we use now for the Hockey Podcast. I guess the hosting site is what I mean to say. Uh, It's not that site. These things were lost. And I think it was Yuka, our friend Yuka from Sweden, who uh, brought it to my attention that some of the earlier episodes were not there. So just to keep everything in continuity, and I want this episode to be available to the listeners, this is original episode number seven with uh, one of the better personalities in the sport, and that's the pride of Vegreville, Alberta, Mr. Brent Severin. Uh, happy belated birthday to Sevy. The dude just does not age. I, I Listen, I am comfortable in my sexuality to say that this dude just gets more and more handsome every year. Uh, the hair is just phenomenal and uh, just an all-around great guy. So uh, so happy birthday, Sev. So this is episode 146, the lost episode featuring Brent Severin, which was, as I said, the original episode number seven but first as always if you're on social media please check the show notes my links for twitter x facebook and instagram are in the show notes connect with me i'll connect right back with you uh also in the show notes the link to islanders a to z the islanders children's book illustrated by mighty Joe Marisich, the graphics joker himself. And if you have an art project that you're interested in having done by someone, uh, this guy's second to none, Joe Marisich. You can reach him at graphicsjoker on Twitter or via loudegg.com. I am a member of the Hockey Podcast Network. Each team has at least one show dedicated to it on the network. I am on the original content side, one of the four horsemen of the hockey fight for horsemen of the hockey podcast network 
As always, first and foremost, the OG, Darren from the Fourth Line Voice podcast, who is currently in Sin City, Las Vegas, his annual sojourn to Las Vegas. He's uh, whooping it up down there. But fear not, he did give us an episode last week, last Wednesday, uh, which was episode 361, and it was titled Vegas Vacation. Uh, gave us some Las Vegas hockey history. I think a lot of people think that uh, Las Vegas hockey started with the Knights, and that's just not true. They have a pretty rich hockey history, and Darren goes into that a little bit. He also does a player spotlight on Billy Heward. Now, I think, now today's Sunday, Sunday night I'm recording this. There was no episode today, but I do believe we will have an episode on Wednesday. And I think he comes home this week. I'm not sure, so hopefully... We will have a Sunday episode, but due to the lack of content today, no better time than to check out the back catalog. And uh, he's had some amazing guests on there and uh, like 361 episodes strong. Uh, 361 episodes seems like I can't even think of a measure of time to uh, come up with 361 episodes, but that's what he is at. Also, while you're at it, check out the 4th Line Voice YouTube channel. Because if you've ever watched a hockey fight on YouTube, chances are it was on the 4th Line Voice YouTube channel. And speaking of YouTube channels, the saga continues with Alec from the 5 for Fighting podcast and the East Coast Hockey League. Folks, I know you might be sick of hearing me talk about this, but it just boggles the mind how Alec can post the same fight as any number of other sources, accounts on social media, on YouTube, and only one of them gets uh, a strike against it, and that's Alec. This, <laughs> I just don't get it. I, I just... I, I don't understand it. Make it make sense. But uh, Alec, again, tried to, I believe it was the Daniel Amesbury fight recently. I, get, I think he had a fight yesterday uh, or two days ago. And Alec posted it um, uh, along with a lot of other people. And Alec, of course, was the only one who had his feed removed. So uh, I have no idea what's going on. And the fact that Alec continues to love this league as much as he does and promote this league as much as he does is really a testament to Alec because I think at this point I would have said fuck off because it's a joke and Alec has tried to, I mean, he's reached out numerous times and via numerous ways to the East Coast Hockey League to, I think it's Joe Babick, uh, to just try to get an answer and they just ignore him because they're infants and um, I, I have no fucking idea what their problem is. I would just love to have someone, like I said, make it make sense. But Alec has relocated to Tennessee uh, as he's been posting fights. I'm assuming he will hopefully have a new episode out shortly. Seems like he's getting pretty active. I hope that he has his fight for fighting podcast sign hanging up in the Tennessee studios and we'll have some new fight for fighting podcast episodes shortly while you're waiting catch up on the uh youtube channel i think he still has it i'm not sure i don't know exactly what's going on but see if there's a fight for fighting youtube channel and catch up on his back catalog as well and the fourth member five in a game podcast with jordan 
I don't know what's going on. I think I need to text him and find out uh, what exactly is going on with Jordan. Um, I believe he's home now in the Maritimes, but I do believe they've had some pretty shitty weather up there. So I'm not sure what's going on, but I do hope that uh, that he's back in the saddle again with some fine content. And also, <laughs> I said a million more without a YouTube channel. Uh, check out the Five in a Game YouTube channel. So uh, just a few notes I'd like to talk about before we get to Mr. Severin here. So, uh, have you watched the Islanders lately? Um, it seems like all of that energy and all of that boost and hype and surge that they got from the hiring of Patrick Waugh, well, that's now subsided. Uh, this is the same team now that was coached by Lane Lambert. Um, it sucks because when Patrick Waugh took over, there was this energy and you could see it and you know, he was this, this new coach, this presence, uh, you see him on the ice and he's, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't wear a whistle. He can whistle without the whistle. Um, when they play like shit, he's bag skating them. He's, he's talking to each and every player. It was, it was a completely different feel than what we had here with Lane Lambert. And, but the old habits die hard, I guess. And we're back into the same doldrums that we were, and, I, and when I say we, I don't mean the Islanders, I mean Islanders fans, we're back in the same doldrums as we were with Lane Lambert. And actually, I think it's worse now. I think with the results today, I think they've actually dropped to ninth in the conference, and I think their Buffalo is right on their heels. So uh, this is beyond frustrating. The irony, of course, to all this, is if you're a season ticket holder, you know what came this week was your season ticket renewal notice. Uh, and I, I feel bad for the reps because I'm sure they're getting an, getting an earful or an email full, and obviously it's not their fault. But uh, awful timing on their part to send these renewal notices out. But, I mean, you know, just last night or yesterday afternoon watching the Tampa game and they sleptwalked for the first 55 minutes. Then at the end, you turn it on, but it's already too late. And you're not going to score too many goals on Vasilevsky within five minutes. It's just, I don't know. The, the Probably the most frustrating part for me is I cannot remember a time or a team that allowed their goaltenders to get screened as much as this Islanders team does. I've seen some people be pretty critical of Sorokin on social media, and I don't think he's as sharp as he has been in the past. I, I don't want to mislead anybody. I don't think he's as sharp. And I think I said it last week. I do think maybe he's in his head. I don't know. I can never figure out a goalie. But that being said, every time the Islanders give up a goal, I can't wait to watch the replay and see who was screening the goalie. And sometimes it's an Islander defenseman, but more times than not, it's the opponent who's not even being interfered with. Now I get it. I get it. The days of the defenseman crushing the guy in front of the net are over because God forbid there was some physicality in the game. You know, I don't know. 99% of the crowd is there to see that, but fuck all right. You know, fuck those guys. Right. You can't touch the guys in front anymore because you might hurt them. You can't say mean things to them because you might hurt their feelings, but you have to be able to 
get in their way or something. These guys are standing in front of Sorokin and Varlamov, and they're not being touched. They're not even being breathed on. This defense, Dobson is lights out, and the only physical presence back there is Romanov. And everyone else, it's kind of like, okay. I, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm really at a loss for words. And I was happy, and this, chalk this up to something I never, ever, ever thought I would say. But yesterday, Scott Mayfield was a scratch, and Sebastian Ajo was his replacement. Never in my life did I ever think I'd be happy that a North American was replaced with a European. Never in my life did I ever would I ever have thought I would have said that, but he had to be sat down. There's obviously something going on. I've said it a million times. I think he's thinking too much out there, but I don't know. It's just me watching on my television and watching from the stands. He definitely needs a break. They're saying it's a lower body injury. You know, who the fuck knows with these lower body, upper body bullshit excuses. Who the hell knows? Whatever the reason is, he needs a break. And, you know, by the way, I think I touched on it last week. If you're a fucking loser who went on his Instagram and started berating him and threatening his life. You're, if, if you're fucking gutless, you're gutless, you're a piece of shit. But anyway, this team is beyond frustrating. Um, now the big thing over the last 48 hours on social media has been, uh, people are up in arms that, uh, they're listening to offers for Brock Nelson. Uh, I'll be honest with you. There isn't a player on this team that I wouldn't listen to an offer on at this point. They're, they're the ninth place team. Who are you keeping? Obviously, you're going to need a boatload back for someone like Dobson and a boatload back if you even thought about trading Sorokin. I'm not saying to trade those guys. But <laughs> you got to listen. Like if a team is willing to go out there and say, Hey, we'll offer you this. You got to at least listen. And I love Brock Nelson. I I've been an advocate for Brock Nelson forever. I, I mean, even before he was putting up the points that he has been the last few years, I mean, guy comes to play every night, works hard, and he really is their most consistent forward. You know, people can talk about Barzal, you know, he's as streaky as hell. When he's on, he's playing great this year, but when he's off, he's invisible. Um, Bo Horvat, I like him. I really, he's 17 goals away from 40. I would love for him to hit 40. Maybe I should hope he hits 31st, but um, I'd love for him to hit 40. The, the forwards are just way too inconsistent. And of course, what's killing this team are the contracts. I don't know how you're going to trade any of these guys unless they, they retain some salary and, I'll readily admit I don't know the salary cap stuff. I've never been one to look into that. I, I know you have to retain some stuff. I I don't know how that works. But I do know that Lou has locked in so many guys to these ridiculous contracts that I don't know how they're going to get out from under them. Even if they're able to move some of these guys, they have to retain salary. I think that counts against the cap. So they're kind of in trouble for the next few years. I, I don't see a way out of this. The prospect pool is depleted in Bridgeport. Uh, Maggio's playing really well. Um, Ishikov, he's he's doing very well. He was the all-star. Um, I don't know much about anyone else. You're not really hearing much about anyone else, but 
you know, if this was next season, I would say bring up Maggio, let him get some NHL games. But it's his first year pro, and he's doing really well down there, and there's no reason for him to be up in this fucking mess that there is up here. So, um, obviously, I'm not throwing in the towel, although it might sound that way. I'm not. I, I, I do have a feeling that this team will somehow manage to sneak into the playoffs and then get dummied by the number one seed that, you know, they'll sneak in. People will be emotionally, uh, you know, emotionally high, uh, pay for their playoff tickets and then want to shoot themselves in the face as they walk out game four after they're swept. But uh, it's just very frustrating. I love the veteran presence on this team, but there's, there's not enough youth and, think you need a good mix of that so i don't know what's going to happen with the islanders they are just extremely frustrating to watch and um hopefully they turn it around i'm not expecting much and now it seems like as every day goes by there's another team they have to climb over so i could be talking out of my ass right now if if you think i am you might not be wrong but uh just uh i'm just a fan who's frustrated so uh, let's leave it at that on the Islanders. So as far as fighting goes, what's the, uh, the buzz this last week, Matthew Rempe of the Rangers, the hype is real. Uh, this kid, first of all, I don't care what team you're a fan of. And, um, but if you're a hockey fight fan, how can you root against this guy? And I'll tell you why I get it. He's a Ranger. So as Islander fans, we're wired to hate everything about the Rangers. And I get that. And I understand that. But I'm also a hockey fight fan. And that part of me wants Matthew Rempe to succeed. Why? Well, first of all, it gives more muscle to the league that desperately needs it. But if Matthew Rempe does very well, it's going to force the Islanders to go and add some muscle. You know, I'm trying to think. Who would be a good player maybe that uh, if Rempe is successful and he plays three, four, five years with the Rangers, if the Islanders had someone who could combat him or, you know, be a good matchup for him. You know, Anaheim has a kid, uh, Ross Johnston. That guy would be pretty good to have on the Islanders right about now. Uh, But I digress. Um, But Rempe, over a week's time, has had three fights. Uh, Islander fans, you're well aware for Matt Martin in the outdoor game. Yesterday, had a slugfest with Nicholas Delorier, and tonight he took it on the chin from Matthew Olivier of Columbus. Now, what what do those three guys have in common? Well, they're all veterans. They've all been through the wars, and they have way more experience than Rempe. Um, Just to go a step further, Matt Rempe has three fights in a week. Pittsburgh, Colorado, and Carolina as teams have five fights total this year. Each of those teams has five fights and Rempe has three in seven days. So it's been, uh, it's been a bit of a whirlwind and um, just reading all the posts on social media, because obviously uh, it's a big deal. He's a Ranger. So there's a ton of Rangers fans. And um, obviously the Rangers get a lot of hate and, you know, their fans are idiots. I mean, I'm not going to deny that. Um, but I'm rooting for this kid. He's 21 years old. What a great story. Um, we went out, we've gone over the story already about the outdoor game and the six year anniversary of his father's passing. So no need to really rehash that. But, um, yesterday 
the fight with Delorier, absolute slugfest. And um, what what a war. I mean, like, I love Nick Delorier. And, you know, Olivier on Columbus, to me, one of the few guys to actually watch on that team. I mean, they are so fucking boring to watch. They're an awful team to watch. And um, now maybe if the, I, you know, I've been accused of um, being anti-European at times. And uh, I'm wondering now if Columbus, I don't think John Davidson's in it for the long haul in terms of being a general manager, but, you know, maybe if Columbus gets a North American general manager, maybe that uh, that might help them. But uh, again, I digress. Uh, Columbus is awful to watch, and Olivier is one of the few guys worth watching. And Olivier did very well tonight against Rempe. Here's what would help, I think, Matt Rempe a little bit. And again, I might be speaking out of my ass. This would be a perfect time if the league was still the way it used to be, where Rempe had a veteran guy who did the job to kind of take him under his wing and basically tell him, hey, kid, slow down. I know you're you're anxious to get into this. I know you're 21 and, you know, you love it or it's a hard job. And this would be the perfect time to have a veteran on the team to kind of settle him down a little bit. And just kind of say, listen, I've been doing this for eight years, ten years. You got to pace yourself. And of course, they don't because this is the NHL in 2024. There's nobody else on that team that can pull. And don't give me Barkley Goodrow, please. Do not give me Barkley Goodrow. Um, I mean, I mean a legit heavyweight, a legit enforcer, even a middleweight. You know, a guy that's done it. Uh, Truba hits like a train, not a fighter, but Truba, I think is the closest thing to, uh, a veteran presence of that ilk that should pull him aside and basically have a chat with him. Just say, you can't possibly keep this pace up kid. Now he won't have to keep this pace up because more times than not, if he dresses every game, he's going to be playing a team that doesn't have anyone that's going to challenge him. So it's not like it's the old days where he's going to have to fight every game. It's just not possible because most teams don't have anybody. You think, first of all, let's talk about the three teams I, I just did. Pittsburgh, Colorado, Carolina. Now, besides the obvious where you have Colorado, who's a great team, and Carolina, who's fast, Rempe may not even dress for those games. But if he does, there's nobody on those teams that that's going to challenge him. So um, I just think if I'm the Rangers... I make sure that Troop is in his ear every night. Um, I bring in someone in the summer to kind of harness this guy because right now he's probably made it this far based on his size. And now he's fighting guys like Martin, like Delorier, like Olivier, who have been doing this for a long time. And maybe I'm the Rangers. I know Langdon comes back every now and then for alumni things. Maybe you bring in Langdon to work with him, teach him some tricks about tying up. I mean, few tied up better than Darren Langdon. And it doesn't have to be a ranger, but I'm just trying to think along the lines of who can help him technically. I mean, you could bring in a Joe Koser, but Joe Koser can't teach this guy to fight like Joe Koser. Rempe has to fight like Rempe, but if he needs help with one thing, it's probably tying up guys. And there's nobody in the history of the Rangers that did that better than Langdon. So maybe you bring in Langdon to work with this kid. Also, I think you got to get this kid in a boxing gym over the summer. I see a lot of people that were high on him yesterday. They're shitting on him today. <laughs> I mean, I mean, God, give this kid a chance, right? 
And for for fans, you know, fans of my age, this this looks like this is Eric Cairns all over again. It's a big, raw-boned kid who's not grown into his size yet. I mean, it writes itself. You look at Eric Cairns on the Rangers and look at Eric Cairns on the Islanders, it's night and day. Eric Cairns on the Islanders was a Terminator. He wasn't on the Rangers. But as he grew into his size and he got more experience, and I remember in training camp, I think uh, there was a video of Karen's, young Karen's working with Shane Churla. That was back in the day where you can have veteran guys help these guys out. Now there's nobody. So the Rangers, if again, if they're smart, this is a professional organization that is supposed to listen to someone like me. So I say if they're smart, obviously there's a reason why there are people that run that team and why I'm talking to you from my basement. That being said, what I would do is I would bring in someone like Langdon to work with this kid and I would definitely get him to a boxing gym. And folks, he's 21. He's 21 years old. He's full of piss and vinegar. Let this kid breathe a little bit. Like, is it going to be like every time he wins a fight, the Ranger fans are going to go crazy. Every time he loses a fight, everyone that hates the Rangers is going to be shitting on him. Like, I, I guess it's just a fan. It's just a fan thing, but I hope that this kid plays 10 years. I hope he's successful. He seems like a really good kid. That's just appreciating the moment. And you just see it on his face. And I just don't know how you can't root for a kid like this. Again, I know he's a Ranger. I get that. But, if you take the jersey away, you just look at this kid. He's just this big fucking kid. He's 21. He's a kid. Just let, let's pull for this guy. It seems like every year now we're getting one guy. Last year it was um, Arbor from uh, Montreal, Wi-Fi, who was the big deal at the time. This year it's Rempe. And, of course, now, just like last year when um, Wi-Fi came about, and now this year with Rempe, now it's starting up again. Oh, fighting is back. Fighting is back. Folks, I, I want it to be back more than anybody. But there's a reason why 30 years ago, there'd be five to six to seven Rempies or um, Jack Eyes in the league because every team would bring a guy, not every team, but a handful of teams would bring up young guys every year. Now, the fact that you can say, well, last year it was Jack Guy and this year it's Rempe, it's one, it seems like it's one guy a year. So as much as I hate to say it, I think everyone needs to pump the brakes on fighting's back because even though there, there are some fights, look who's fighting. Guys are fighting that don't know how to fight. Was it the other night Florida and Carolina had a, a melee? And who was on the ice? Ten guys who can't fight. But, you know, I saw highlights going, oh, it's a full-scale brawl. And I'm going, no, there isn't. It's ten guys who can't fight. So what's the what's the deal? Is that fighting being back? I, I really don't have much use watching guys who can't fight because it's not even remotely in their job description. Fight. You know, there's like 10 to 15 guys, maybe, probably more closer to 10, that can actually do the job. So I hate to be that guy, but I don't think fighting is back. Where, where are these guys coming from? Where are they coming from? You know, Rempe came from the West, which again is the only league that still does it right. No uh, fight limits, no extortion like the Quebec league. Um, 
I just don't see it happening. It would be great if it did. I just, someone's got to show me where the guys are coming from. And uh, I'd love to have someone stick it up my ass and say, well, <laughs> whoa, hold on. Uh, metaphorically, <laughs> uh, metaphorically shove it up my ass and say, fuck you. Look, here are all the guys that are going to fight. Got to be careful there. Oh, boy. All right. But when I say, where are the guys coming from? There is a team to watch in juniors right now that is a lot of fun. Now, I don't watch their games. Obviously, they're not on TV here, but it's like, uh, well, they play tonight. Let's check the box score. And that's the London Knights. And why the London Knights? Well, Eric Bolton's offspring, two of his sons play for the London Knights. His older son, Sawyer, who's 19, and younger son, Ryder, who is 17, are both suiting up for the London Knights. And Sawyer is pretty much running through the league right now. Um, Sawyer's 19. He's listed at 6'210". More physical than Ryder. I think Ryder is more of a player. Um, But these guys play like Boltons. And uh, I, I tell you... David Branch must have nightmares about Sawyer Bolton, and um, and uh, Eric Bolton actually sent me some some videos of Sawyer from the last few seasons. And this kid's fearless, man. I I I love this kid. I love both of them. I do. I love both of them. Um, I'm interested to see how how Ryder develops. Again, he is smaller, but the Boltons are trying to make hockey violent again. They're trying to make hockey fun again. I want to thank Eric Bolton and I want to thank Mrs. Bolton for having two children who know how to play the game the way it's supposed to be played. And you want to know how Sawyer Bolton is making an impact because there are articles being written about him crying about how mean he is, how tough he is. Is he going to be a problem for other teams? So way to go Sawyer, because obviously you're making an impact. The whiny writer is up in the, GTA or wherever you want to put them, the people who cover the OHL, they're whining about Sawyer Bolton. It's phenomenal. So I know he's 19. I don't know where his future is. I think I think the over maybe he's got an overage year. Maybe he signs a pro contract. I don't know. But the good thing is he's he's another one. He's raw boned. He's just this tough kid. He's got all the enthusiasm. But thankfully he's got his dad there to guide him. And thankfully, uh, Eric can guide Ryder as as well. Ryder has a few more years of junior left, uh, a few more than than Sawyer does. But uh, I'm really anxious to see where Sawyer Bolton ends up. Because, again, what these writers and people who bitch and moan about, oh, he's mean, he's this, he's that, they don't realize all they're doing is increasing his stock because you're drawing attention to a unicorn, basically, you're drawing attention to a guy who plays tough in a sport now that doesn't like tough players. So all you're doing is driving his stock higher. So thank you to the whiny writers um, with blue hair and with cats in their avatar. I think you guys are doing a great job. Keep up the good work criticizing Sawyer Bolton because all you're doing is bringing attention to him. So um, this kid and his brother Ryder, Ryder a few years from now, just keep an eye on the Bolton brothers. Keep an eye on the London Knights, uh, of course, coached by Dale Hunter, run by Dale's brother, Mark. 
Uh, apparently, they pack that barn every night. A great, great hockey town. And um, just keep an eye on that. So at least Eric Bolton's kids are trying to be the next generation of guys who will come in and drop the gloves. Now, I have uh, spoken to you now for about 30 minutes. I know some of you like my rants. Hopefully this one was a good one. And I'm sure some of you fast forwarded uh, through this. So um, after these messages, we're going to get back to the uh, the Brent Severin episode. Sevy and I have known each other a long time. And uh, he was a lot of fun. To, I mean, he's fun to talk to. All we do when we talk on the phone is laugh. We make fun of each other. We laugh. Uh, and this is more of the same, just with some specific questions and answers. So um, I thank Brent for his time. And also, it's funny, when I was uh, going into the archives to pull this out from the original episode, I remembered, and, and with a lot of these lost episodes, I recorded these on my super old laptop. Not that the one I have now is uh, high tech by any stretch, but I think the laptop I used to record on was from 1845. So you could definitely tell the quality of the audio is slightly less than, well, this fantastic audio that you're listening to right now. But uh, Sevi, great guest. What a personality. And uh, I'm so glad he's thriving down in Dallas doing television down there. Uh, he's really found a home for himself down there. He's a great guy, great family man, and uh, does a lot for the community. So after these messages, we're going to go hit one of the uh, last few lost episodes. There's only a couple left folks. Uh, this might be the second to last one. So uh, ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned for the lost episode featuring Brent Severin, you folks have a great week. Take care. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code THPN. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Ladies and gentlemen, it is an honor, and I do mean an honor, to introduce somebody who I've been friends with for several years. I first met Brent Severin when he was a member of the Florida Panthers, and much to my delight, his next team was the New York Islanders. Um... As far as Brent goes, uh, Brent has been a successful entrepreneur. He's been a successful NHL hockey player. Uh, he's been successful on television. And knowing his work ethic, I'm not surprised by any of it. I think Brent is the kind of guy that'd be successful no matter what he wanted to do. And uh, I'm so happy he's joining us today. Brent, thank you for joining us in the penalty box. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Okay, I got a question for you right off the bat. I'm going to give you a question. Okay? Yeah. So how many guests have you had before me? Uh, I think five or six. Oh, that's not too bad. Yeah. Okay. Well, why, why am I so down, far down the depth chart? Uh, yeah, th there is no ranking, sir. There is no ranking. Um, 
Well, well, you, start the pod, you start the podcast and go, you know what, I'm going to get 7-7. Seven, seven. How does that work? Well, I will tell you you're ahead of Clark Gillies, Bob Nystrom, and Gary Howitt. Okay. How's that? You know, so sometimes you make good points. Right? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll shut it and uh, let's move on. I apologize to those people. No okay. problem. You're ahead of those move guys. On. So, so uh, yeah. So, uh, you know. So uh, Thank you for the introduction. Appreciate it. You're very welcome, sir. Now, uh, Sevi, if I had a time machine and I went back to Vegreville, Alberta, and I saw a young Brent Severn on the pond, two questions. What kind of a player is he and who is he? In terms of who was your player back then that you uh, you always said, oh, I'm going to be so-and-so? Well, first of all, you'd be seeing uh, probably the biggest nerd you've ever met, and he's working outside on the rink just trying to turn left. So that's the kind of player I was. It was pretty tough. Mm-hmm. I was uh, a slow uh, slow beginner, but a quick ender, I guess you could say. Uh, and I'm an, I'm an Edmonton Oilers fan, so my parents had and my aunts and uncles had tickets season tickets to the Edmonton Oilers so um, there's this team called the Edmonton Oilers and they won a few Stanley Cups when I was around that time so you could not be a, uh, a Calgary Flames fan from where I was from you had to be an Edmonton Oilers fan and uh, that's that's what I would enjoy watching so it's uh, that was my time at the Edmonton Coliseum watching Wayne Gretzky Mark Messier and the crew win some Stanley Cups so I got hooked on hockey very early and which which one of those Oilers were you out there while you were trying trying to turn? Well, I wasn't Lee Foglin, I'll tell you that. Yeah, <laughs> Google him. But I love Lee Foglin. He blocked a lot of shots. But of course, Wayne Gretzky was my guy. Had the gloves and the Jofa helmet and the Jofa uh, stick and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it was. Uh, everybody was a Wayne Gretzky fan. Even got the perm. I don't even know if anybody's ever seen it. Wayne Gretzky had a perm at one point so that was the thing to do uh didn't work out too well for me though oh god i wish i had a picture of that whatever (laughs) (laughs) by the way speaking of old-time hockey i i saw something that i have to ask you that i never heard before is danny gare your cousin he is i got a stick from danny gare when i was gosh i think 13 or 14 around then and yeah he was kind of the Severin family, I have a group of uncles that played professionally, actually in Amarillo, which is just north of where I am here in Dallas, Texas, and they're part of the reason that got me hooked on hockey when I heard they were being successful uh, playing hockey and doing different things and were pretty good hockey players in their own right, and then, of course, Danny Gare, who was part of that clan uh, that had made the NHL, so don't know him very well, and I met him maybe a couple times, but that's it, but yeah. He was uh, one of the reasons or one of the people that I look up to. said, hey, they played in the NHL. Why not uh, give it a shot? Yeah, that's not a bad guy to look up to. He was was a very good all-around player. Well, no kidding. It's better than Lee Fogelin, that's for sure. Very true. And by the way, I'm old enough to know who Lee Fogelin is. He he lost to the Islanders in a Stanley Cup final once. I'll just pretend you didn't say that. (laughs) All right. you're just trying to get me already. We're like we're five minutes into it, and you're throwing barbs. I'm okay. just saying. Well, I figured you were taking you a shot. You did. You did just say. Well, I figured you were taking a shot at me when you That's told about the, when you told about the Oilers winning cups. I thought that might have been a veiled shot. No, if I said you had a lot of gray in your beard, that's a lot of that's taking shots at you. That's actually just truth. So that's okay with that. So I'm uh, I'm a few months away from being Kenny Rogers. So 
so as we move on, the Vegreville Rangers, that's the Alberta Junior Hockey League. Now, if I'm not mistaken, that's one level below the Western League, correct? Uh, no, that is Junior B. That is so far down the food chain that you probably can't find it. It's a, even if you Google it, you can't find it. No, that was like a um, that was like a senior team or a junior. Well, the Junior B team and the senior team kind of had the same name. So, but that's what it was. It was Junior B, and I played that at uh, fourteen, I think it was somewhere around then. It, it's basically the local. My town is like five thousand people, so you're, you're grasping for people to come around. Mm-hmm. in the whole surrounding area to play and try out for this junior team. So that really was my first introduction into watching people kick the snot out of each other. So that, I was a little bit intimidated at the time. And speaking of kicking the snot out of each other, how did you end up with the Seattle Breakers? To this day, I still don't know. I have no idea. I, <laughs> I come from a small town. Like I said, I could barely turn to my left. I played defense uh, and somehow, some way. I got scouted uh, from this team, and uh, at the ripe old age of 17, I believe, I went to Seattle and actually made a Western Hockey League team. To this day, this is—it's my biggest, probably one of my biggest accomplishments because I have no idea how I did it with very little talent, and uh, it's amazing because that kind of changed everything for me. From that point on, that's that's when I really started to focus on trying to play. NHL. Even though at 13 and 14, you know, I had a dream to do that. Really didn't know. You didn't know where you stood because in, in my hometown, uh, we had uh, 15 guys make the team or 15 spots on a team and uh, only 14 guys would show up for the tryout. So you're kind of guaranteed a spot. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you did, you more than held your own according to your stat line. In 72 games, you had 46 points, 49 penalty minutes. Uh, you played with uh, a couple of guys that people may know. Uh, one guy, uh, I believe, I don't know if he was your D partner, Jamie Huscroft. Oh, Usher the Rusher, the Bone Crusher. Of course he was. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? I think a year before that I uh, played with Jamie, I had went to a game in, I believe it was Red Deer, and I think it was a exhibition game when he played for the Portland Winterhawks, I believe it was. Okay. So long ago, it was hard to remember. Mm-hmm. So I see this guy walking, because I went down to ice level, and I want to see these guys walk by. So I see this guy walking by me. He's six foot one. He's like 200 pounds. He's got a full beard. Yeah. So I'm, think, I'm thinking he's like 20 years old. But I think he was 12 at the time when I was <laughs> He was shaving. And I was like, what? but he, he was probably, he was my age or a year younger, do you know what I mean, at yeah. the time. And I'm like, is this the Western Hockey League? Oh, my God. And I remember seeing and, and then the next year I'm playing with the guy. Or, uh, so it was pretty cool. But, yeah, those guys were intimidating. That's, that was intimidation at the fullest right there. And uh, you played with a future Islander, Alan Kerr. You remember anything about him? Oh, geez, biggest forearms in the league, no question about it. The kid could shoot. He was tough, great, great guy. Really enjoyed being around him, and uh, I just remember his smile. I really yeah. do. And he was tough. He was hard-nosed. He got in there. Um, it's kind of what you wanted to be as a player, but I remember the, the forearms and the big shot and the hard work ethic uh, about that young man. So you have always been honest about, and even in this early interview, you talk about how intimidating it was and learning how to fight and all this other stuff. So if I, if my records are correct, what I found, your first fight in the league was against a future teammate, if I'm not mistaken, Brent Hughes. Do you remember that at all? Oh, my gosh. No, I don't. No, okay. no, no uh, is this professional or are you talking Western League? I'm talking when you're at Seattle. Oh, gosh. Yeah. No, well... You know, I'll, I'll give you my first fight. My first fight, I remember, was a WHL camp, and it was 
in Medicine Hat, I believe. And the guy's name was El Conroy. You remember this yeah. guy? Oh, yeah, little guy. Yeah, yeah, little guy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I'm coming from my hometown, and I think, you know, I'm maybe six feet, maybe. I don't know. I, I hadn't grown yet, so I wasn't that big. But, you know what I mean? I wanted to get in a scrap and test it out a little bit and see how it was doing. So, obviously, I picked the smallest guy on the ice. Here's the, <laughs> here's the problem. Al Conroy can fight. Yeah. I did not know this. Mm-hmm. I did not know this. So, he uh, he bends me over and uh, puts my head down and just absolutely uppercuts the heck out of me. Fortunately, I had a visor, and all I could see was his knuckles going off my visor about 20 times. So, uh, regardless to say, I didn't fight after that, and I tried to play the game a little bit more. So that, I believe, is my first Western Hockey League tilt, okay. which, again, did not turn out too well. No. And I don't remember uh, Hughesy fight at all. No, sorry. No, it's okay. So this... Well, thanks. Just, I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. So hearing hearing your journey and how, how really surprised you were to get to Seattle, I love it. This next question is going to make me feel great. What was your reaction when you were drafted by Winnipeg? Um, what was my reaction? Well, obviously very excited, you know, because I, I didn't really have a clue that uh, I was going to be drafted. Or, you know, I heard a little bit, but to be drafted, you're like, really? Come on, are you kidding me? You like, But I remember getting the call, and I was actually outside of my house in a park, and it was the old, I know we have cell phones now, mm-hmm. but this was the, the phone with the big, long antenna. And there was a range around our house. It wasn't a cell phone. It was just a home phone. But I remember stepping outside and talking to somebody from the Jets. I'm assuming it was the general manager. But I was such shocked that I couldn't believe it. But they called the house and said you were drafted and all that. So it was was a pretty cool moment to do that. Uh, The funny part about that was I had just started working. I think I'd spent two weeks traveling to Edmonton, which is a, a town which is probably about an hour from my hometown. So every morning at, I think it was five o'clock in the morning, I had to drive out to Edmonton and I would work at this job. And my job, wait for it, what I would do is I would stand there and there would be a pallet of beer bottle, beer, beer cases. I would grab them, I would turn to my, from, I'd pick it up to the right, turn to my left and dump it on a conveyor belt. Oh. That, that, was my, that was my job for eight hours. <laughs> Then I'd go boxing and train in Edmonton. Then I'd head home after. Oh so God. I get this call from the Western. Yeah, I get the call from the NHL that I'm drafted. The next day I go to the job and I told them to go pound sand. I'm going to go be a hockey player because <laughs> I didn't. I, I didn't want to do that anymore. So I cut that out because it was the worst job ever. And to, you know, it's part of the reason that you know I had the work ethic that I did or learned to have the work ethic I did was because of that job and, and working on the. Uh, I worked at a power for a power company digging ditches for three summers. <laughs> And I knew that's not something I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Don't. And by the way, I, you know, I know we're having fun with each other here, but don't say data. I, I've seen you prep for your when you were doing the color for the ducks. Your work ethic is still there. I'm not all goofiness aside. You, you're still you're still a maniac when it comes to that stuff. So it's well, like, yeah, it's, you know, quite honestly, a lot of it. That's all I got. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I just have to be able. You know, I have limited talent, talent in everything, but you have to. Uh, bring it in and work as hard as you can. That's the only thing you can control. And even yeah. with the kids that we work with and the people we talk to, you know, you're doing a podcast. You got to work at it. You got to prep. And uh, even though your questions are kind of questionable right now, you know what I mean? I, I think you've tried, at least tried to bring some good ones. Well, I, I wasn't talking about my work ethic. I was talking oh, about yours. Sorry, bud. Mine's always questionable. So, <laughs> so but, uh, after the that after you got drafted by Winnipeg, did you happen to go to camp with them in '84? 
I did because I do have a picture of me. I think it was Joel Blazeron, I think his name, and um, Randy Carlisle. Nice. I have a picture at that point, but like I was so scared and so you know of everything, so it's pretty cool. Yeah. And I, I don't know if uh, Co- Dallas coach Rick Bonus was there too or not, but he was around that time, so he may have been there too. So because we joke about it now, he, he obviously he's the interim head coach here with the Dallas Stars and and has been around since dirt so i can still bug him about that how old he is but i think he was at that camp too yeah i was going to ask you what the experience might have been like seeing a guy like randy carlisle or jim kite or jim nil but i guess scary is the word right <laughs> yes yeah and if there, you know if there's one guy I could go back and fight i think it'd be randy carlisle i would really like to fight him quite honestly because as i worked for the anaheim ducks as a radio color analyst mm-hmm. and uh, one of the things the very first day that I got the job, and I'd never done this job before. We walk in, and we're going to talk to the coach, and he goes, uh, first, first, this is the first thing out of his mouth. He goes, what the F do you vultures want today? Oh, God. That's how that's how he greeted us. And he was so serious? Could, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he was serious. Yeah, he, he, he's a beauty. So, anyway, it was pretty funny, though, and I laugh about it today. But uh, if I could go back, uh, it would probably be one guy that I would like to railroad a little bit. I'm guessing, Just for those comments. I'm guessing you're probably not alone in that. I've heard a few stories about him, so uh, I'm not. You're probably <laughs> not alone, you know. Yes. So, uh, so when we go on to your, we go on after camp with uh, Winnipeg. You end up, you're back in Seattle, um, and now you know uh, Jamie's still there. And actually, there is a, a young man by the name of John Cordick is now on the team. Yeah, I never played with John. I think we missed each other. I went away to the eastern side and he stayed there he was playing with portland i believe at the time that i was in seattle okay. so okay yeah, i got a first i got a first hand look at those left hands never did fight him but i i do remember him vividly of course yeah um did you approach your second uh, camp with seattle different than your first one now that you already had a year under your belt and you kind of knew what to expect well of course yeah you're you're trying to develop your game and you're trying to be better and you know like i said it's when you have you're just trying to figure out where you are, what kind of player you are, how it works, and it's all new. You know, it's the first time that I really – I moved away at 14 for the first time, but 17 really was the time going to Seattle uh, that you're, you're away from home, you know. So it was, it was much different, and you're, you're learning the ins and outs of the Western Hockey League. You're riding the old iron lung, and that's getting to you, so it's just different. But what's awesome about Seattle is the people that I met in Seattle, my billets – even to this day, I still talk to them, and that was how many years ago? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 1983 or whatever it was. So I got to meet some really cool people, and with them getting an NHL team, I think that's pretty exciting for all those people around there, and, and it's going to be fun. It's a big hockey town. It's it's one of the coolest places that I've played as far as when you think about the audience and the, and the fans and their noise level. I think it's going to be something pretty special there. And for me, it was just about trying to trying to be better, you know, what, what I needed to do. And I went back and I looked at an old note, I think it was around that time, when I think one of the feedback feedback notes that I had from a coach or something was I didn't work. I didn't have the right work ethic. How about that? Oh, my God. I was really, sh- I was really shocked at that. But I can see that because this, I think work ethic, for the most part, it, it's innate, but it's also very much learned. And it took me some time to really catch on of how to do it properly. And, and that's what propelled me to the National Hockey League. Wow. Okay. Yeah. How about that? I'm a little I'm a little taken aback to be honest. 
I hear that. See that? As a good interviewer, you shouldn't be though. You should you should be ready for the I know. punches, you know? I know, I know. Well, I'm still a rube, so I'm I'm learning on the job, so Okay. Uh, so with Seattle, you're basically a point per game player that season, and you ended up traded oh to Brandon. God. How did that come about? I don't know. You're gonna have to ask the GM. But I remember walking up those stairs to go see the GM, and uh, obviously very disappointed to be moved because yeah. it's the first time it's ever happened. Ever happened in Seattle, and I had to go tell my billets that I was gone, and uh, that was just me being a suitcase. So that's that's the way that worked. Um, and uh, you played in Brandon with another former Islander, Derek Laxdahl, who I believe yes. is now with the he's he, with the Stars he, now, right? He is. He is uh, one of the assistant coaches after the Stars uh, had to get rid of their head coach here. And yeah, he moved up from the Austin team, and yeah, and I, it was just funny because I was looking back at his stats, and I knew he had a big shot, but I don't didn't realize how many points and goals he did really put up. Man, he was a sniper. That's that's what I remember most about him is his ability to send that puck. So, yeah, he, now he's working on the power play and obviously on the offensive side of it for the Dallas Stars. So, now I don't bug the coach as much, so I don't talk to him much, but it's um, it's good to see him making the move. You know, he started a junior, I believe, in Edmonton and then worked his way up as a coach, and you can see that eventually, I would assume, he would be a head coach in the National Hockey League at some point. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, he's pretty much accomplished everything you can accomplish in the minors, so uh, I think it's a logical uh, continuation in his career. Yep, correct. Uh, so in Brandon, I believe this was your first time hooking up with a, uh, one of the Prince Albert bad boys, Rod Dahlman. <laughs> oh, Do you remember the fight you had with him in Brandon, not in Springfield? Oh, yeah. I remember some of them, but Mike, you know, let, let's talk about, is it, he was with Prince Albert, correct? Yeah. Is that, yeah. So here's the thing about Prince Albert, and I'm sure, I don't know if other people have told this story, but there was the Prince Albert flu. Yes. <laughs> they had so yes. many tough guys, and it was scary. Mm. Like, in Brandon, I think at one point we had four or five guys, and I'm doing my fingers in quotation marks, were sick <laughs> as we had to go. They were sick, so they couldn't make the trip to Prince Albert. So we went into this horror show, and, uh, they, you know, they ro rode that red line and stared yeah. at you, and... Uh, it, it was awful. Like, it was awful. You literally went in there and you were sick to your stomach because you knew, like, what are you going to do? You're going to get abused by these guys. And uh, and even their smallest guy was going to kick the crap out of you. And that's the way it was. But you found a way to get there. And we were very limited with the number of guys we had a couple times. So we had to go in there and fight our way in and just kind of slough our way out after that because it was not fun. But, yeah, fighting those guys and, and picking a partner there was just not fun. It was like the Kamloops uh, Blazers at the time mm -hmm. on the other side. They, they were the same thing. They stared at you. They had, I believe they had, they put screws in their helmets when they used to have, uh, we didn't have cages back then, and then they rotated the screws out so when you fought them, you would carve up your hands a little bit. That's yeah. how crazy that nonsense was. Oh, man. How, how, yeah. how a lot of guys have, uh, when they, when I bring up a guy like Dahlman or, Bomber, everything like that. Everyone has a story about Bomber, like uh, back then. <laughs> you have any? You have any recollections of Bomber back in Prince Albert? Well, it's just it was the whole experience. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. seriously, it was it was anarchy going there because if I didn't get sixteen cross checks across the back, it wasn't a, it wasn't a fun game, right? Yeah. It wasn't exciting. Mm -hmm. But they were all so big and so tough and scary. And back then, I didn't fight, so I didn't, you know, mm. I never knew it because I was a small guy. I think I was like 180 pounds back then. Wasn't big, hadn't 
I was starting to lift weights or I had lifted weights, but I hadn't kicked in. Right. So, and that's what's funny to me. All those guys that were big and tough, probably 99% of them, when I hit the NHL, well, 100% of them, I could fight all of them. Yeah. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. there was this transition. Like a guy like Bomber, he's a, he was a huge, scary dude back in the day, but I grew. And by the time I was able to get in the NHL, like I was the same size or even bigger. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I was able to handle those guys over time. But it took me a lot of years to go from that scared kid in Prince Albert to a guy that could fight them in the NHL. But it, it, it was because of all the hard work that I did in the weight room and, and the boxing and all that sort of stuff. So it's kind of a crazy thing now that I go back and I was so terrified of those guys. But then you move to the NHL and that, those are the guys. It was just another day to fight one of them. Yeah. Um, what, if you had to pick your, maybe not the most memorable moment, but something that jumps out to you when I ask you about your time with Brandon, do you have anything that stands out? Yeah, the smell during the, <laughs> the smell when they had the rodeo come into that <laughs> rink. Is that is that bad? Is that bad? Yeah, that's that's my memory of that. I, I asked you for something memorable, and <laughs> that was there. You go. It's, it's still there. <laughs> and I come from a farm, so I know exactly what it smells like. Oh my god, I love it. I, love I know. It. Um, <laughs> so. So we jumped to your second camp with Winnipeg. I assume you went to camp with them your second year. And uh, again, just similar to with Seattle where you've been through it once before. You've been through it once before. Uh, how did you approach this camp? Well, I don't think I did because oh. after a year, they have a they have to offer you a contract or you go back in the draft. So oh. I think that's what happened, I believe. So I, I was basically cast off from that point on. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, I know. Up. It's it, Go ahead. Interesting. Interesting. So then, how did yeah. you how did you end up with Saskatoon? Again, just moved around. You yeah. know what I mean. You get like I said, that was the start of uh, putting the U-Haul to my butt and starting to move <laughs> around the country. That's the way it was going to be. That is the way it's going to. You know what I mean. I'm, yeah. I'm a fourth liner, and will always be a fourth liner. That's just just the way it is for me. And I I had to get used to it then, and I'm used to it now. So yeah, I got moved to Saskatoon, and uh, that was that was a really cool experience for me to be in Saskatoon. So I'm going to ask you about a few guys uh, in Saskatoon. One guy I'm not sure if he was there when you were there. I know you played with him later, and uh, you know he's one of my favorites. Uh, <laughs> Kevin Killer Kaminsky, was he in Saskatoon when you were there? Um, I remember mainly from uh, the Halifax, obviously. Yeah. I don't think he was there. I'd have to check. Because you know what I mean? He's a guy that stands out immediately yeah, yeah. Uh, with them. But I really remember him from from Halifax days. Mm-hmm. I believe he was just coming up or the year after. I think he, so that's, he, then he would have come in later in the year when you were in Seattle already. So um, It could have been, yeah. 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 Again, moved around so much it's hard to keep track of who I was with yeah. and the players that I played with. So. I'm checking right now, actually, so we'll see. Okay, uh, one guy you definitely played with in Saskatoon, well, I shouldn't say definitely, I believe you did, was Duncan McPherson. Yes, um, And yes. Uh, everybody that's played with him or against him, uh, obviously being an, an Islander-related podcast, and uh, obviously Duncan's story is uh, a tragic yeah, yeah. one. Uh, what yep. were your memories of Duncan? Yeah, you know, you, you looked at the guy, and, and very physical, Obviously, and just you know, just watching those guys move. Any anybody on those on those squads and their ability to play the game was so much different than I was used to. You know what I mean? And he was one of the guys that kind of stood out to me uh, the way he played. So yeah, unbelievable. And then when you hear the story, it's it's pretty sad. You know, as you get older, this is the kind of things that happen. So uh, 
very tragic, obviously, because I, most people thought like he was on the, he would have the ability to play for quite a long time, or at least have an opportunity, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, two other guys you played with, who are pretty well known characters. One I think is more well known than the other, but I think the lesser known guy may have been the bigger character. And I'm talking about Kelly Chase and Larry De Palma. <laughs> yeah. Well, when you, you know when you talk about those two, that's it's it's crazy for you know Chaser still is the man, right? He's yeah. the mayor. He, he's like uh, he's the guy that knows everybody, that talks to everybody. Is is one of the toughest guys. You know what I mean? I could fight, but these he is tough. Like I could probably fight him. There's no question. I'm at the same level, but he is tough he is tough in everything he does he sticks up for himself all the time he did back then he still does today doesn't take any junk from anybody and that's that's really what kelly chase is and he's revered right everybody loves kelly chase and uh he he is a great great guy and that, that whole team was was a lot of fun even though i didn't spend a lot of time there yeah. i love saskatoon and anyway you know, i got to meet todd mcclellan and his crew as well and uh you know again just meeting all these people was, was a lot of fun back in the day um, now that year, that even though you only spent a few games there, and the, you did, you fought. Uh, uh, if my numbers are right, you fought four times in nine games in the preseason. Was this a conscious oh, really? decision? Yeah. Oh jeez, <laughs> man, you're going back a few years. I don't even remember that. Oh, really? Yeah. It's yeah. No, because I still hadn't turned into a, a meathead. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it was. I was just probably testing the waters and a little more comfortable within the league and. Just probably getting after, and there in the Western League you had to fight, right? Yeah. If you won, you either fought or you didn't. There was there was two ways to go. You either got abused or you didn't. So, mm -hmm. and when you're with those guys like Kelly Chase, the crew, you, you know you better be there and ready to fight. Yeah, and you weren't even there with the Chase Killer Tony Twist and Terry Clark group that they had oh, later on. That is a great line. Oh, uh, to put God. them out there, you know. Yeah. You know, when they go to Prince Albert, they're starting. Mm-hmm. So uh, your your time in Saskatoon was short. You actually ended up technically going back home, your first Western yeah. League home, Seattle. Uh, now, it sounds like you really enjoyed your time in Saskatoon. Was it bittersweet mm -hmm. going back to Seattle, or were you looking forward to it? Yeah, looking forward to it because I got to be with my billets again, nice. which was kind of cool. Like, I, love, I loved um, the Saskatoon area, but hey, let's, let's be frank, it's too cold, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. It's too cold. I'm from... <laughs> Bakerville, Alberta, Canada. It's freezing. I don't want to be in the cold. I'm soft as Charmin. I want to like it nice and warm. And hey, if it's a little rainy, I'll I'll suck it up. But you know, Seattle is such a nice city, and uh, I was about uh, half a mile from the water, so there's all kinds of good things. But I just enjoyed being there, and um, and that's why I'm excited to see how their NHL team does. Yeah, I think it's going to be pretty cool. Oh, by the way, I wanted them to be called the Totems. Did you have a choice? Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. I, I like totems. Yeah. I, I think it goes back to their history and all that sort of stuff. And I think they can do a lot of cool things. So yeah. we'll see, right? Yeah, I don't think it's happening. Not not, not Krakens, though. Like, no, that's awful. Who's pushing that? Oh, God. I mean, it would make sense <laughs> with the way the league is now that they would be called the Kraken. But totems is, to me, totems is the obvious choice. Yeah, I think so. But you don't think it's going to happen? I think it's going to be Kraken. Oh my gosh! Really? Yeah. Oh, you do think it's really? Yeah, I really do. I know. I had Stu. I had Stu Barnes. Uh, we had an alumni event here in Dallas, and he's a scout for them. But he wouldn't. Uh, he wouldn't give anything up. He probably doesn't know either. But still, I tried to rough him up a little bit to get some information, some insider information. <laughs> but Stu wasn't giving it up. I understand. 
So one of the guys you played with in Seattle, <laughs> your second go around, if I'm not mistaken, I Gary Grant was he? He was a colorful guy off the ice as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, a little bit. I didn't know him very well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I didn't get to get to know him, but uh, the he's one of those guys that I, I remember a little bit, but but not too much okay. at all because it was kind of I don't know. I just uh, didn't get to know him as well as I could have. Okay. I think he was only there for 20 games when I was there, I believe. Mm-hmm. And when you came back, <clears throat> did Jamie Huscroft throw you a party? Did he throw me a party? Yeah, like to welcome home. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Nobody's throwing a party? What you? Well, I figured if you guys are buddies, he's probably happy to have you back. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> he was just happy to have someone help him out. Oh. I figured that. Look now, at Husher, he had 394 penalty minutes that year. Jesus, for the love mm-hmm. of Mary Husher. What do you, oh, he's got six goals, though. What do you think he's there for? Oh, my God. <laughs> well, speaking of penalty Husher, minutes, someone's, up, penal- someone's penalty minutes jumped considerably upon his return to Seattle. Um, and I have to ask you about two fights specific because as I do these interviews, um, there's a couple of names that keep coming up as the tougher guys in the league at the time. So... It okay. almost seems like the unquestioned, the unquestioned heavyweight champ at the time of, of this year with Seattle was Rudy Poshek. Is that uh, accurate? Rudy was, was he not still in Kamloops? Yeah, he was in Kamloops. And I have, yeah, oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Rudy. Yeah, that was, yeah, he's, again, we talked about Kamloops and his ability to beat the crap out of people and then cook you a nice meal was legendary. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. And um, you also fought a future teammate, uh, your rival, <laughs> your rival, yeah. Spokane, yeah. Mr. Mick Vakoda. Uh, you've had him on, right, you said? I've had him on for several hours. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it was. He just hated my guts. And every time, I, seriously, in warm-up, he just eyeballed me. He <laughs> just stared at me. And I'm like, God, kid, leave me alone. I just want to play the game. And he loved to fight and loved chase people around. So yeah, <laughs> every game I got I got tired of him. I really did. He and loves you, you now. He loves you. Well, yeah. Once you get to know, him, <laughs> well, the guy's fine. But my God, I had nightmares for three years. Every time I hit the ice with that kid, he was looking for someone to beat up, and I was the only one there. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, he fought me once with a cast. He hit me in the head with his cast on his right hand. He, he may not have even had a broken hand. He might have just put it on before the game. <laughs> probably. That's probably hey, You laugh, but that's probably true. <laughs> so, after this year in Seattle, you you took an unusual route. But in speaking to you in the past, I know that you're extremely happy you did. You ended up with the uh, oh, University oh yeah. of Alberta. And you played for someone who I know how much you love this man and how in, in such high regard... Uh, mm-hmm. Coach Claire Drake. Could you talk about the decision to go to university and talk about Coach Drake? Well, let me tell you how the decision went. Okay. Um, we're no longer going to have you in the Western League, and you got to go somewhere else to play. So <laughs> where am I going to go? Oh, so it wasn't um, your decision. It was not my decision. No, I was done. Okay. When I went to the University of Alberta, I was going to go to school and become a athletic therapist or a physical therapist. That was my goal. Like I, I, you know, I, I kind of knew about the University of Alberta, but I really didn't know about the University of Alberta, mm-hmm. and and I was just going going to school. That's where I was going to go. 
but you know it's weird things that that change your life and you can look at points in your life and i know if you guys you can do this as well Mm -hmm. but there's certain things that dictate where your life will go so i go into university alberta thinking my hockey career is done i'm finished like really i'm going in there and I'm like, okay, this is going to be fun. I'm going to play. They said, yeah, come skate with us. And I didn't know anything about it. So they had uh, Coach Claire Drake and then assistant coach Bill Moores and a guy named Don Spring. But Billy Moores and Claire Drake, like, they absolutely changed my life. Like, I mean, in all areas. It was unbelievable, first of all, how to, how to be a better person, I think, is one of the things that they really – made sure it came to the forefront. They wanted to make sure you were a good guy first. From there, they taught you how to be a great player or how to get the most out of your ability, and they showed you how to be a good teammate. So you take all these things and you drop it in, and I'm looking around, and all of a sudden, a couple months in, I'm going, this is this is kind of special. This is kind of cool. This is interesting the way they do. The way Claire ran practice, the way he made things, it, it just opened up my life to how to play the game of hockey it was unreal a simple thing and people that are play played hockey that listen and play defense when the puck stumped in the corner what they would always say is before you go there take a picture and i'm like let me take a picture well they say make sure you turn your head and you take a picture of all the guys that are coming at you and you go the opposite way the guys are coming Hmm. like how simple is that yeah like that is defense 101 (laughs) before people just tell you to look well what do you mean by look and they said, take a picture. And even to this day, when I'm teaching defensemen, I said, take a picture. And they look at me like I looked at Claire. But when you take that picture, everything changes for you, and you're able to get the puck out. So, like, my game skyrocketed. All of a sudden, I'm all-star in the league, and our team is doing well. And just all of a sudden, I'm getting noticed. You know what I mean? Yeah. I am getting noticed of as a hockey player at the University of Alberta. But no one came. At the time, there's very few people came from Canadian college. Very few. Mm-hmm. Rare. So the opportunity to come out of there and have an opportunity to sign after two years, I took it and uh, went with it. But one thing Claire did not want was fighting. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you that. Yeah. So I, there was an opportunity, I think it was my second year. So I'm one of their top defensemen. I play a lot and do all kinds of stuff. Some guy, some Russian guy, for two years had been sticking me and poking me and giving it to me and just doing everything he could pissed me off basically so finally i had enough and i absolutely grabbed this guy and just feed him his lunch so i'm skating off and i'm feeling pretty good about myself but there you get kicked out right you're kicked out you're not playing anymore and i'm going behind it was at home and i'm going behind our bench into the dressing room and if claire drake was a small tiny little guy but he absolutely chased me down in the corridor threw me up against the wall and said, what are you doing? We need you. You can't do that. And like, you know what I mean? Yeah. He tied it into me. Yeah. Like he never, he rarely did that. And I was just like, geez, I, I guess, you know, I didn't feel important at the time, but he was like saying that I needed to stay on the ice yeah. and there's a time and a place and that wasn't the time and place to do it. So Claire, uh, he did a lot of things, man. I'm telling you. And he changed every, anybody, not just mine, but of all the people that went to the University of Alberta. It's amazing how they're all we're all kind of similar in the way we treat people, uh, how we think the game, how we talk to people. So it's a pretty cool thing, uh, and that part I would not change ever. That's for sure of going to the University of Alberta. So you said that he doesn't like fighting. Yet in about 
65 games, you had over 250 penalty minutes. Now, is that because the college game is just a dirtier game? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It is the dirtiest. Like, I went from the Western League that I thought was the toughest, nastiest hockey in the world. Go play Canadian college at the time. Yeah. Everybody had a visor. Everybody was tough. I mean, everybody played the role. And you, like I said, that Russian kid bugged me for two years. Mm-hmm. Hacking, whacking at you. How many times? I had never seen as many head injuries, cuts to the faces, steamrolls, all kinds of stuff, you know, because there was no fighting, and guys just ran the living crap out of people. Yeah. So instead of fighting people, you just lay the lumber on them, right? You can mm-hmm. give them the business, and that's yeah. the way it was. And, yeah, that's why I got 165 minutes in 41 games. Yeah. And, and a guy that played in Colorado, Mike Keene, still gives it to me about the 165 penalty minutes in Canadian college. <laughs> oh, yeah, he so said, all of a sudden, you grew a sack in Canadian college, Keene would always say. Well... <clears throat> speaking yeah. of speaking of growing a sack in Canadian college, is it yeah. true that you played goalie for two minutes in Canadian college? Listen, I hold the record for goals against average <laughs> and goals against in the Canadian University. <laughs> yeah, he he put me in neck. It was weird because at the time I was so embarrassed and so pissed off that he did that. Uh-huh. But in the first year, I was just a guy. You know what I mean? I was just a guy that was there and an odd man out. So. He put me in that, but I did take uh, a couple shots, and mm-hmm. the guys went nuts. So, but yeah, embarrassing moment. But I was there, so I had to fill in as a goaltender. And uh, man, I, I had forgotten about that. Yeah, because uh, I used to play hockey here in, in Plano, or in, sorry, in, in Texas. Here, I do skates for adults, and sometimes I have to go in and play goal. And I am absolutely god awful. I can't bend down. I can't drop to my knees. I'm sweating the mask. I can't breathe. It's terrible. So, but yeah, I was pretty good back then, but uh, lately, not so much. <laughs> so, obviously, you had two really good seasons there. Uh, yeah. So, now did this open up? Were, were you scouted? Is this how you ended up in mm-hmm. Quebec? Yeah, yeah, I came out and signed as a free agent. Unbelievable. Like, I, you know, you talk about weird, weird things. The first was going to University of Alberta, the second was, was getting signed at a Canadian college to go give it a shot. Uh, pretty unique. Pretty unique. So I had to jump on it, and uh, I was happy that I did. Still haven't completed my education, by the way, but I uh, I was able to start my professional career and uh, fortunately make it to the NHL. Well, you sound smart, so no one's going to notice. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was so sincere. No, yeah, it's true. That, you sound smart, <laughs> so it's no one will know. But I'm not, so thank you very much, and I appreciate it. Well, I've cheered my whole lot. i got to get a Kleenex. Hold on. Okay. Okay. Well, and what I found is for, for someone like myself who's not necessarily too bright, you surround yourself with smart people and just listen to what they say and regurgitate the information. That's what I do in my broadcast. Yes, you correct. Go. Are you saying that? What, how do you say his name? Ray? Ree? <laughs> Ray. Yeah, Brian Ray. Is, so he's the smarter of the two? Well, see, now they have to draw the line. He's better dressed, <laughs> and he's got, he's got the tight haircut. Uh, smarter? Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> well, well, that's, that's I know he's not so more he handsome. Him. I'm I'm secure enough well, in my manhood that, right. that I know he's definitely not more handsome. Hey, he's four foot nothing. He's 105 pounds. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I got you. Like I, I grab and snap him, so he better be nice. <laughs> so, so Quebec around this time is absolutely notorious for their training camps. In what way do you mean? Well, they tend to get a little physical. Oh, okay, good. I didn't know which way you were going yeah. there. No, no. I like I said, I'm not looking for anything uh, controversial. I just the on ice training camps tend to get a little violent. Oh my God! 
remember the time when it was like 15 teams and you had nine tough guys per team yeah. and your training camp was two weeks and uh, it was fight your way in, fight your way out uh, and then go have a beer with them after. Yes. And that's the way it was. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was. And they, it was tough. It was tough guys everywhere. And you had to, I remember that like it was yesterday. It was like tons of tough guys and it was Brawl Fest 101. Mm-hmm. It was great. It was great. Very entertaining, very fun, but it was a different time, obviously, than today. <laughs> now they now they do three days, and they got to watch their groins, right? <laughs> three days, three days of camp, and, and and they need they need a maintenance day after the third day because it's tough because they have to fly and do do a game that night. So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna throw four <laughs> names at you. You could say whatever you want about them. Okay. There are four of the biggest characters that have ever played hockey. Whoa! That's All right. Pretty- Pretty tough act to follow. Yeah. Okay. Jacques Mayotte. Oh my goodness. The, uh, okay, go, go ahead. Do you want it? Do you want me to uh, now or, or later? Well, what do you prefer? You want all four at once, or you want uh, one at a time? No, no. Let, let, let's go. Okay. And, and I don't know, Jacques listens, but he had these tiger underwear. I'm not sure why. <laughs> uh, I think you know why. <laughs> this is what I, this is what I remember from the kid. Big right hand, but also he had these little leopard skin underwear. Why I remember that. I don't know, but shock that 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 is seared in my head of why he had. I don't know. So go ahead. Next question. <laughs> I don't really know how to follow that, but I right. know that's that's why I threw it out there. And uh, you'll have to tell you. Max Middendorf. Oh, geez. Mad Max. Max. Man, this kid could eat glass at the bar like nobody else. <laughs> the Ontario boy. Yeah, he, he was one of the guys, uh, and of course, him and uh, Smitty Greg Smith were uh, bird dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're always hand in hand, those two, and that's that's what I remember both about Maxie. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, bird dog was my next name to throw. Yeah, at me, you know. Yeah, I love that guy. Everybody did, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the biggest, meanest dude, but what a teddy bear, yeah. right? And that's the biggest thing. Heard of gold, my defense partner for a while. Uh, yeah, he was great. Like the character, you're right. He's yeah. one of the guys when you, you bring up his name, probably to everybody, like the bird dog. You can call mm-hmm. him. First day I met him, you, know, you can call me the bird dog. Yeah. Like Jesus, who is this guy? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, he, he was great. And uh, man, yeah, those teams. You're bringing up names I haven't thought about in a long time, and you bring up those names for the yeah. Halifax and HL days. That's the thing about the minors, and I'm sure a lot of the guys have said this. It's it's so much fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're trying to make your way up, and you're riding the bus, and you're grinding it out, and trying to make it to the highest level. But uh, it's the time was with the guys that it's pretty cool when you start going back and thinking about all the characters that yeah you spent time on the bus with. Yeah, uh, and last um, Darren Kimball. Oh my gosh! Eh? I know you did him too, right? He was—he beat me, and he, wasn't he like four or five, maybe one even. What do podcast here? No, he, unfortunately, listen. Darren Kimball is one of my favorite players of all time, but Whoa. but he did not ever have any organizational ties to the Islanders, so unfortunately, he's ineligible. Oh, you, what? So, you got to play by the rules, I man. I didn't know there was criteria. Yeah, really? yeah, you got to play by the rules. I would love. Listen, well, I'd love well, to interview Kimby. I'd love to interview Killer. They don't qualify. You are soft as Sherman. Come on now. Please, I think I don't think that's soft at all. I think it's it, it is. Uh, it's rules. So okay, here's your rules. Okay, here's what you're gonna do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, you're gonna get someone to play for the Islanders that knows those two, and you're gonna bring them all together, interview them together, and then you got your tie. All I'm saying is I'm not saying I won't try <laughs> to skirt the rules. All I'm saying is if I Who's ask rules? enough, whose rules? First of all, my rule. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Without rules, there's anarchy. Oh, my 
my gosh. Okay, I apologize. That's Let's okay. continue. Yeah, Kimby, of course, he is a guy that, you know, you see him fight for the first time, and he's not, he's a tall dude, yeah. but he's not a big dude. Mm-hmm. And then you see him throw that jackhammer, and you watch him absolutely kill guys and knock them out, mm-hmm. and you're just like, my God, thank goodness he's on my team. Yeah. Well, let me ask your opinion on this, because this is what I say. And oh, you don't take my opinion about the interviews, but you want my opinion now. I will take your opinion on a lot of things, and I, okay. you know I value it. So it's oh, my opinion It's my opinion that a guy, because you're, you're in the circle. I mean, I'm outside the circle. You're in the circle. But for a guy with Kimball's resume, I find him terribly underrated when people speak about enforcers. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's yeah, it's weird. That yeah. is that is probably true in some regard, yeah. I think. Yeah. But man, anybody that played with him. Yeah. Yeah, cuz he fought and went toe to toe with the best. Mhm. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know if it has anything to do with uh, him being traded for a twist and twist following him in St. Louis and then the this this the R of twist blowing up. Like I don't know what exactly it is. But uh, to me, the guy, he doesn't have to take a backseat to anybody, really, in terms of his resume. And I just, I never think he gets the due he deserves. I mean, he gets it from, from players, but, uh, you know, and guys who played with him and maybe fought him, too. And But I just mm-hmm. always feel like, I'm always like, hey, what about this guy? Like, he, guy, he's yeah. an ass kicker, and, uh, you know, and he, I, I just think he's grossly underrated when it comes to that. Yeah, you, you know, you don't make very good points a lot of times. Right. This could be a good one. Thank so. you. But well, what do they say? A blind squirrel, you know, finds another yeah, every now and then. Yeah, yeah, it's ten o'clock twice a day. Um, <laughs> yeah, three, three hundred eleven games, and yet a thousand over a thousand penalty minutes, and those aren't tripping penalties. No, I'll guarantee you. No. Yeah, yeah. You know what? That's that's true. But I think anybody that watched him or fought with him or watched him play or fought him, yeah, he was definitely a guy that you had to be leery of because he was not shy to fight anybody. He was right. part of that Prince Albert group, right? 86, 87, that's scary. Mm-hmm. 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 So, Halifax had a ritual for rookies, did they not? I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> listen, it's it's the moneymaker now, and now you're going to bring that? Like, listen, I got I, a cloth. I know. Well, I'm saying I just think people need to understand. All right, tell people what it is. First people need to ahead. understand how with what you're sporting now, where you came from. <laughs> okay, go ahead. All right, so for those of you who don't know, and this, I think, was not just a Halifax ritual. They may have just perfected yeah. it. The yeah. uh, the rookies on the Citadels, and, and I'm going just neck up. I don't want to touch anywhere else. Thank um, you. They were shaved, and yeah. uh, they had nice crew cuts, and I believe this year you had the crew cut, and I know Kenny right, had right the down to, It wasn't a crew, crew cut. This was right down to the wood. Oh, really? Okay. All right. Yeah. No, there's no crew cut. Okay. No. Um, no, Kimmy, Kimmy took that thing and just went right down the middle of your head. I mean, <laughs> right down. There's no, and then he left it. He said, "You guys, you can either leave it like that, or you can do the rest." Uh, I've had it. Uh, that I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know so, that. Well, I, I do remember him going right down the middle, just and that's it. And then who knows what happened after that? Oh my goodness! That and, is and the funny thing is, we had a fashion show again. I'm doing my quotation marks with my fingers. We had a fashion show at the uh, Palladium, the bar across the street from the hockey rink. So all of us wore hats and we were bald. Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> so was this like a fashion show, like in Slapshot? Yeah, ex- exactly. Well, it was. It really was. Except we didn't have anybody flash the crowd. But I was yes, going to say, was. nobody took their dick out and wiggled it out. No, no, <laughs> no. 
jeez. Um, so I there's a couple, about that too. a couple of fights this year that you had that I'm curious about. One, of course, is the Rod Dahlman fight in Springfield. Oh yeah, yep. So yeah, yeah, that was one where uh, you know this is during this time, this Halifax time. I am figuring out. Guess what? I can fight, and I, I start you know messing with some guys. You know, because it's around the time. Uh, that I start to get strong. I had been lifting weights probably since 13 and boxing for, you know, five or six years. And then I, I'm finding out, like, I can chuck them. Like, I always could. Like, I, I didn't know that about myself. Like, that's the thing. I, I talked about Kelly Chase. He's tough. Mm-hmm. I'm not tough. But guess what? I can fight. I know I can fight. Because when I've been in si- certain situations that have been a little scary and people that I thought were outside my range or people that I thought I couldn't go, but when I'm really mad, I can fight. Yeah. That's one thing. I just don't like it. I didn't like it. I hated it. Mm-hmm. But that fight right there is when, yeah, I started to understand. Even before that, it was in the preseason. I think it's Meadmore that I fought. That, I think that was the guy. second guy I was going to ask you oh, about. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That For me, that's kind of a turning point of when, you know, I, I'm like, holy jumping, I can guess what? And the coaching staff and the organization, they understood now that I could fight. So I'm turning into a player a little bit, plus I've got this toughness side to me, and I'm starting to – fighting guys but i'm not getting it handed to me like in junior uh i fought i think it was ken danico or tried to fight but he just basically strung me out and he was going to punch this the crap out of me but he let me go that's kind of the way i was in junior but then as i got older as i got stronger and this is where it all started to kick in was that you know like what 89 88 89 somewhere around there Mm -hmm. i started to be able to fight and i was starting to get some guys you know what I mean? And I remember that fight specifically because I got to the bench and people were kind of looking at me. Because I guess Meadmore at the time was a, was a pretty good fighter or at least was a tough guy. And they thought, everybody thought I was going to get it handed to me. And uh, and uh, I came back to the bench and after having a pretty good goal, and I was like, okay, I got a little more confidence with, with this. And throughout the season, I did it more and more. Mm-hmm. And then you ended up in fighting Dalman in Springfield. And now Dalman, yeah. had mentioned you fought him with Prince Albert. And he was one of the tougher guys in the league at the time. And because you were just coming into your own as a fighter, he definitely had more experience than you at the time. But you did pretty well. Yes, and this is where I found out I'm stronger than guys. Because when I fought him in junior, pretty much the same size. Maybe I was a little smaller. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, I grabbed him, and I'm like, you know, he's not as strong as I remember. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, that's where it started to change for me a little bit in that area. Gotcha. 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 So I have to ask, we'll, we'll, we'll tie a bow on this first hour here. I, I know you have to get going. So um, that was, we you talked about the fashion show and we talked about the haircuts. What? Why are you laughing at my fashion show? Well, because I'm, I'm picturing, I don't know which one of them I would picture that would wiggle their dick. I mean, there's just a handful of guys I could see doing that. Um, what, is there something crazier about that first year in Halifax that is just something that really stands out? Well, first of all, Kimby was part of the crew that got shaved the first year. Kimby, the next year, was the guy. That's what I remember. I had the two stories kind of mixed up. Yeah. Because there was Ken McRae, myself, Kimball, and another guy that we all got our head shaved. But the next year, it was Kimby that was doing it. I remember him going down the middle. That's what it was. So I had those two stories mixed up mm-hmm. some of the other stuff it's just you know the bird dog max Mindor stuff at the bar 
uh, a lot of stuff I can't share, but I right. really remember right. those two. And I spent a lot of time with those guys. They lived near us, yeah. uh, and, and we had some girls living beside us. So it was just absolute anarchy. Uh, it was college days yeah, right I, then, and it, it was a mixed master of stuff. But, you know, just, just laughing at the antics. I'm a quiet guy that just keeps to myself, but you got, you know, Max Bindor breaking off and eating glass at the bar, and you're like, what is going on? Is this what they do in Ontario? I guess so. So... Is this? Yeah, I'm sure. Sorry, go ahead. No, as you say, I'm noticing a name I had written here that I, I forgot to ask you about, and then we'll, we'll end it with this. Out of all these guys that you played with, how does Anton Stastny fit in with the Halifax Citadels that year? <laughs> he, he must have been terrified. Oh, my God, yeah. Uh, well, you know when those guys are down, you know, they're yeah. just like you know, what the hell am I doing here? I can't mm -hmm. wait to get out of here as fast as I can. Yeah. So, yeah, that, you know, he's there for a cup of coffee. He knows that we know it, and that, that was about it. I don't think he, you know, what was he at? The, I'm trying to figure out how old he was at the time, but I'm sure he was much older than yeah. all of us. And like I said, cup of coffee, you know, when, when you're that, when you're older or you're, you want to play the name, you know, you don't really want to be there. Right. He's, uh, that that whole year with Quebec, you know, even the year I got called up, would we have eight wins that year? My God. <laughs> I, it was, you know, good thing I was a young guy because I for sure would have been like, what is going on? I was just happy to be there. And we had eight wins that year. Jesus. Uh, I picture Anton writing letters to Peter on the back of the bus about <laughs> you guys. Like, get me out of here. <laughs> yes. yes, don't you have any pull? <laughs> So this brings us to 1989 Quebec Nordiques training camp. Now, as we've already discussed, Quebec always was uh, a pretty rough, uh, intimidating training camp. There were no shortage of guys to mix it up. And in this training camp, you had guys returning like Kimby, uh, Bird Dog is returning, uh, Mad Max, you also, uh, Ken McRae. And then you can add guys like Daniel Doré, uh, Jean-Marc Routier, the killer, Kevin Kaminsky, Dean Hopkins, Scott oh Shaughnessy, oh Trevor Steinberg, Jim Sprott. So tell me about... Tell was Lord Donnelly there too? Was he there? Well, I know. I think he... Well, actually, he was may have been. Before? He may have been, or he may have been the year before. I don't know if this was... Uh, if he was in Winnipeg by now. Because I think him and Kimmy went at it about 3,000 times in that camp. They finally had to tell him to shut it down and quit beating the crap out of each other. Yeah, I remember that. That's, that's a question. That's a question for Kimmy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So tell mark me that down. Take your little pen. Mark that down. And hey, if there's any more help you need with research, just let me know because I'll I'll help you out. All right. I appreciate that. I, I uh, well, I'll just listen to your answer now about this camp, and I'll take notes as we go. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it was it was back in the day, as we mentioned, with so many teams and so many players, you know, that that came to camp. So every team had a plethora, big word, plethora of tough guys that you had to go. And everybody's trying to make the team. And back then, you know, toughness did mean something. So everybody was trying to show off a little bit. And Quebec, they loved their fighters as well. So, yeah, it was a, uh, a melting pot of carnage, if you will. I love that. I love that. <laughs> yeah, well, it's because you're watching. You're not in the... You're, you're not in the soup. Yeah, oh. you know, if, you're, yeah, if you're just looking at the soup and you're watching, yeah, whatever. Oh, it's behind, a lot of fun for you, I'm sure. Behind the glass, it's just I'm just in awe. Oh, but yeah, absolutely. So tell me about your first experience with the uh, killer. Not not your actual first experience. Just when you when you guys were first teammates and everything. What? Uh, no, no. You just you, you hear about this kid, right? You hear about all his antics and all his stories, and he and he just don't care. Like you know, that's the way he was. He 
he didn't care if you were four foot two or you were six nine. He did not care. He was going to stand in there and he was going to get punched and he was going to punch people and that's the way it was and it was awesome. Fun to watch him and uh, you know not the size of the dog but the size of fighting the dog is the old saying and that really was Kevin Kaminsky and and just the nicest guy too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, just yeah. just a pleasure to be around and you know you know what kind of kid he is mm-hmm. and. Uh, so much fun to be around. Just you know, one of those good guys from Western Canada. He was uh, today actually named the Coach of the Year in the SJHL. Believe it or not, is that right? In his oh, first is a- first season there, Coach of the Year. Is that right? Up, oh, good. Up in Larange, Saskatchewan. Jesus, that, you got to fight your way in and fight your way out there too. I'm sure, <laughs> just just to get to the game. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, so it's perfect for him. Mm-hmm. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, it's nice to see, and that's the thing, my age now, like I see all, No, I don't know anybody that plays anymore really, but I know all the GMs and scouts and coaches that, have, that are in the NHL, so it's much different. You know, people always come to me here in the States and say, well, what's the direction, the kids and dads, and what's the direction I got to go to make it, and I, like, I have no idea because I have absolutely no connections at that level, but if you want to play an NHL team, I could probably get you a spot. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, same here, like I don't, think I know anyone that's still I mean maybe a, a guy here or there in the Islanders but it's not like it used to be where there were two or three guys on every team so it's uh you know oh, yeah, your kids can't get and the kids can't get off the Instagram too to talk to you so that's right that's right so uh and I'm, I'm not you know nothing really to talk to anyway um <laughs> did you get in any preseason games with Quebec um I did, and here, here's one of the stories that I can share with you. There was, at the beginning, I don't know if my first or second year, they were going to, it was an afternoon game that they were having, um, and we had a practice in the morning. We get off the ice, and they tell me, well, we're going to send you down, so we're going to send you down to Halifax, and they're making their cuts at whatever time. So I think we skated at 10 o'clock in the morning, and the game was at 2 or something. So I get off the ice and they come and they go, well, yeah, you're, we're sending you down. So I said, okay. So I'm just, I said, you know what? I'm going to go out and work on some more stuff. So I go out there and I bag myself and I work on some things and, you know, I'm out there probably for an hour, maybe even more after, just working on things, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I come back to the dressing room and I don't know, I can't remember exactly what happened or how it went down, but it's like 12 o'clock and they said, yo, you're going to play. You're going to play this afternoon. And I was like, uh. what? <laughs> so I come to the dressing room, yeah. So I go through the morning practice plus my own little workout, and two hours later I have to get ready and uh, play a game, and I believe it was the Montreal Canadiens that was in town, and it was when Guy Lafleur was there, so it must have been the second year that I was there. Okay. So Guy Lafleur was there, and he was already having a smoke uh, and getting ready for the game, yeah. full gear as usual as he always did, and. Uh, I played forward for the first time ever because they needed a forward, so I went out there, and uh, my very first assist in preseason was to Guy Lafleur on one of his goals. So after all that, uh, I got an assist uh, making a nice pass to a Hall of Famer and probably one of the best hockey players ever. So that's why it's a story that I tell kids quite a bit because instead of pouting and moping and saying, oh, what was me, I got sent down, I went out and actually wanted to work on my game, and um, that January... That, that January season, that's when I got uh, called up to Quebec and got to play my first NHL game. That's that was leading me to my next question. Um, I'm just helping you out here, like I said. I know, I know. You You're sp- you could do this on your own. I mean, I was going to ask you. About I do. That. <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> so, so uh, you're in. I, I'm assuming maybe you're in Halifax, maybe you're on the road. How did you learn about your first call up to the oh, NHL? Yeah. 
we were sitting in the Halifax Metro Center getting on the bus and we're getting ready to go. My coach at the time was Robbie Fatorik. And for me, he was one of the guys, kind of like Claire Drake, he changed the way my game was. Instead of beating me down and just yelling at me all the time like the old school coaches, he actually was very honest and very upfront about my game, but I learned more from that guy than anybody. Because, you know, as you know, with the, if anybody knows the Los Angeles thing, he treated Wayne Gretzky like everybody else, mm. which obviously was a mistake, but that's the way he was. He didn't matter if to him if you're a first-rounder or if you're a high pick or you're a guy that's never been drafted. He was a guy that was going to help you uh, with your game as much as you can. Uh, so he really helped me. I had a good year, and I was playing well, and all of a sudden I get the call up. And it was in the Metro Center. I was on the bus, and I was actually reading a – uh, and I didn't. I still didn't know Robbie very well because it was our first year together. Like I say, it was January, so I'd only been with him a few months and just getting to know him. And I knew he was a joker. But so I'm reading a magazine, and it had a. a it was a. I think it was a Playboy or something like that. One of those types of magazines. You know what I'm talking about? Understood. Guys are passing. Guys are passing it around, mm -hmm. and uh, all of a sudden he's at. I'm at the back of the bus, and he's at the front. Severin, and he yells at me. I'm like, oh geez, what did I do? <laughs> So like, is it like I got the magazine, I throw it off, it's like, Severin, <laughs> grab your bags, grab your bags, and get off the bus, now. And that's what he said, that's how he says it. Like, Jesus, what did I do? Am I going to the East Coast? What's happening? So, and he's like, he's, he's staring at me. He's like, come on, hurry up, let's go. Get your stuff and get the heck off the bus. I'm like, Jesus, what did I do? I couldn't figure it out. Step off the bus, and then he's got a big uh, shit-ass eating grin, and he says, yeah, guess what, you're, you're called up. Beautiful. So yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah, and what a way to do it too. You know, it's like it's vivid. But yeah, I thought I was in this trouble because hey, I'm reading the magazine and he's yelling at me. I don't know his coach. So a pretty cool moment to get called up and uh, got to play the Montreal Canadiens on my very first game as well. So you're playing Montreal, which is, I mean, that people yeah. today people today don't understand. You know, they see the NBC and they call it rivalry night, which is garbage. Okay. People today don't get how Islanders Rangers used to be, or uh, Calgary Edmonton, or Montreal Quebec. So, but isn't Rangers Islanders like that still? Not no? really. No, no. It's a shell of what it used to be. Let's put it that way. When they play, hey, hold on, Eric. But listen, we're fossils, so you gotta understand that. Yeah, but that I don't. It doesn't matter. Last night they played, and the Islanders when when the two teams, the rivals, don't dress their respective heavyweights. To me, that takes a little bit away from whoa, the rivalry. Whoa, whoa. First of all, first of all, we're in the heavyweights. There's maybe two of them in well, the entire league. Ross Am Johnston. Ross Johnston is certainly a heavyweight. One. Okay. Next. Well, Ryan Reeves. Two. All right. Wilson. Do you put Wilson in there? You I do. Tough guys? I do. Even though I hate his guts. No, I. Okay. We're not talking about personal feelings. Okay. Here. Like, let's let's not do that. Okay. As broadcasters, we got to be biased. All right. All right. I understand. I understand. Well, all right, so they're, they're resident fighters, let's say. So the Rangers didn't dress Michael Haley. The Islanders didn't dress Ross Johnston. To me, that's a key component to a rivalry. Well, my friend, you better start watching lacrosse because there, <laughs> there's no more of that going on. I know. It doesn't, it doesn't mean I have to like it. All right, carry on with your questions. What's your next question? So it's a two-parter. So your first oh, game... Your first hey, this is, hey, this is your first two-parter of the podcast. I know. We're only, we're only an hour and 15 in. <laughs> Man, you so, are on top of it. Your first, NH go ahead. your first NHL game is with Quebec against Montreal. So that in and of itself had to be nerve-wracking slash exciting. And then the second yep. thing is, 
when you come out to play, you're on the bench with guys like Guy Lafleur, yeah, Peter yeah. Stastny, Michel Goulet. What is the whole experience like? Anybody who's played, it's it's like you, you ask any kid that is stepping into the National Hockey League, you know, like in Dallas here, when people step on the ice, and we've had two or three kids play their first games this season, you step in and you look and you see you see Sagan, you see Jamie Benn, you, know, you look over and Bishop's in the net for you. You know, it, it's some, some pretty big players that you've watched on TV that all, all of a sudden you're sitting beside. And uh, what was interesting... At, and even as it, as in much of an awe I was of the personalities and the people and the crowd and the referee and all this sort of stuff, one of the things that I can really remember is thinking near, like about halfway through the game, thinking, like, this is, this is just like playing junior B hockey in Bakerville. It's the same game. It's not different. It's faster. It's quicker. Television cameras everywhere. Everybody's ripping around, snapping around. Guys are tougher. But the essence of the game was pretty much the same. And it was weird how I had that thought after, you know, dreaming of playing in the NHL since I was five. And it was this big thing. And but and to be on the ice with these guys was pretty cool. But I looked at the clock. I looked at the, uh, just things that were going on. And I was like, this, it's the same game. The rink is 200 by 85. You got two goalies. It's five on five for the most part. You know what I mean? It's the same game. It was pretty cool. It wasn't until I played Wayne Gretzky where that changed a little bit. But besides that, that, that's what I really remember. I remember, you know, obviously the guys that you had just mentioned, stepping on the ice with them, looking over and seeing my home, my my team that I watched even before the Edmonton Oilers, the Montreal Canadiens, Larry Robinson and Guy Lafleur and the crew, that was my team. Mm-hmm. So to have a chance to play against them was pretty cool. But like I say, right in the middle of it, I was – the essence of the game is pretty much the same. So it was, it was a pretty weird dichotomy, if you will, of thoughts going on in your head. I have it listed as your first NHL fight. Is that is that too deep for you? I no. think I just went off the rails a little bit. I think I lost you. No, I'll have to go back and listen to it four or five times, but I think I got it. Okay. <laughs> so, no, it was great. I, I Listen, I love, to me, I love stories like that because, you know, I'm, I, I haven't been... I'm not blessed to to do what you did and to do something you're, you're you know like you call yourself a slug all the time and the thing is you got to play a professional sport at the highest level a lot of games you're a champion but you only get that you only get your first game once yeah and yeah, and exactly. I love I love hearing the stories about that so I would have listened if you would have gone on for 20 more minutes I would have loved listening to it because all of your accomplishments the first game only happens once, and your first game was against your team's biggest rival, and you're on the bench with I, I, at least two of those guys are in the Hall of Fame. I don't know if yeah. Goulet is in the Hall of Fame, but he certainly is worthy of it. And you just, like, to listen to a young kid from Vegreville talk about that, to me, I could listen to that all day. You know, when you fast, when you said that about the Hall of Fame, as you fast forward, you know, my last year in the NHL was 99, and I went back and looked at all the Hall of Famers I've played with and I think it's 15 or 16 wow. Hall of Famers I know it's part of being a suitcase that you get to <laughs> meet and play with all these guys yeah. but that's the cool thing too you get to meet and play with all these guys yeah. you know yeah. so that that's the fun part about it no and, and especially like when I was growing up obviously I've always liked the physical players but Stastny was a guy the Stastny brothers I always enjoyed watching them Quebec because of their toughness was always my second favorite team so I always I always had an affinity for Quebec but 
uh, hearing the way you always speak about Gila Floor and how Darren Kimball always speaks mm-hmm. about Gila Floor, it's just like you guys get it. Like, like it's just like you're when you guys speak about a guy like Gila Floor, you're you're not a professional athlete anymore. You're a fan, just like me. Like you're in mm-hmm. awe of how great he was. So I, I enjoy listening to that kind of stuff. Yeah, and we were fans when we were looking at him and staring at him on the bench. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like, oh my God, there's Gila Fleur, you know, and because uh, he, he was kind of a guy that he didn't he didn't separate himself from everybody, but he was on such a different standard and pedestal than a lot of guys. You know, he kind of did his own thing too, very friendly, like the nicest guy. Mm-hmm. But he was Gila Fleur. It's like Wayne Gretzky, like, yeah, just a different dude, right? It's a different guy. Yeah. Yeah, no. So I, that's why you didn't lose me there, smartass. It was just I was I was admiring I was admiring your story. That's all. <laughs> I'm just busting your child. I know. You know I love you. You know I love you. So um, your first NHL fight I have it listed as Paul McDermott of Winnipeg. Now, yeah. Um, anything did you at that point? And I, it, it's a silly question. Maybe, maybe it isn't. But no. Winnipeg, no. Winnipeg was the team that drafted you, but then they kind of left you in the lurch. They didn't re-sign you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Was there any resentment towards Winnipeg at all? Mm-hmm. No, no, not at all. Mm-hmm. It was so far, and it was so far removed from my draft year. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It was like three years, four years after, whatever. I didn't, I didn't play my first game until. 22 so it's you know quite a few years after i was drafted so for someone who didn't think he'd be playing like you know like listen i I was just lucky to be on the ice yeah chucking some knuckles and that's that was all i was happy about right so speaking of chucking some knuckles your i believe your first introduction to the battle of quebec was todd ewan is that correct (laughs) well actually it goes back even to we played in halifax an exhibition game and i i don't know if it was the first year or the second year but i got to fight chris nyland which was kind of cool. Okay. And nobody ever seen it, or no one's ever heard about it. But it was in Halifax, you know. Obviously, no TV there, yeah. and uh, yeah, me and Knuckles went at it. So that was a big one for me. Nice. Uh, my introduction, yeah, nice, exactly. Yeah. And so that was fun. Actually, that was pretty fun because he's not a big guy, so it's it's you know, and I'm strong, so that really helped me in my favor. And and he, obviously, he has good stamina, though. He's a good test for your stamina because he never stopped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you wrap up, you wrapped him up like a present, and that was it, though, you know. Yeah. So, um, you spent half the season with Quebec that year, half the season in Halifax. Uh, any memorable stories from your time in Quebec? Well, here's the thing. Uh, from January on, every time that there was a break in Quebec schedule, they sent me down. Every oh. time the Quebec was playing, I went back up. So, I think I went back up and down, like, eight times i think like 16 times total with flights wow. something like that in a matter of three months holy shit yeah it was it was pretty crazy because i was actually as best you could was playing on both teams yeah yeah and uh so because yeah, they wanted me to play so if there's an all-star break or a huge break they would send me down and i'd play three games and then i'd go back up so it felt like i was on the plane a lot mm-hmm. yeah i would say so going back and forth and Near the end of the year, you know, the season's ending up and finishing up in Halifax or wherever I finished up. All my buddies had this big, big plan to go to, I think it was Cancun. We were going to go with 10, 15 guys. We were just going to light it up. But what happened was, I got sick near the end of the year. And because of going back and forth and playing all the games, I actually had, I had pneumonia. But I didn't know it at the time, so yeah. So 
I'm sick. I'm not feeling good. You know, I think it's the flu or something. So I'm trying to suck it up. And I'm actually, when I got home, I was in the taking bank. You know, the things where you bring down and you get your own pen. So, but I was are you are you moving right? Are you moving right now? What do you is that is that a fat joke? No, because you're breaking up. You're glitching out like crazy. Oh, well, sorry. I get calls. I, I know you, you may not have any friends. We got a couple friends calling. <laughs> sorry about that. Sorry. <laughs> I just don't want your story to go I, always. No, I know. I was trying to do it between the beeps too, and that, I don't know how to work the phone. And I don't have any friends. So, Thanks for reminding me. Sorry, buddy. That's yeah, okay. there's someone calling, so I apologize. I didn't know how to stop it. That's okay. So I, I, I was going back and forth between Quebec, and then I got sick. At the end of the year, I had this, this vacation planned with my buddies. I'm in the faking bank. I'm trying to, I'm sick. I'm shaking. I'm trying to get the tank. And then I was driving somewhere, and all of a sudden, the car, and I puked green all over the place. Ugh. I was like, what? That, that's, yeah, that's probably not good. Yeah. So I go to the doctor, and sure enough, I got, I got them all the hospital for three days, and I missed my... Thanks for allowing me to cute uh, <laughs> green. That was awesome. Yeah, I was just tired. I was run down. I did too much because you know you're burning the candle both ends. Oh, yeah. If you've ever been to Quebec City, you've ever been to Halifax. Like after the game, you don't go home. Trust right. me, you, you you are not going home. Yeah, there's a couple establishments that you may want to visit. That's what, uh, I've been to Quebec once. I've never been to Halifax, but uh, hopefully one. Well, listen, you're, you're yeah, you're really if you play for the Nordiques or play hockey, it's like you're Brad Pitt. So you know what I'm talking about here, right? True. You, you get to go out and have a little fun. Yeah, yeah, I understand. So uh, <laughs> going into the next season, so you split the season yes. basically. You know, like you, you spend half the yep. year with Quebec. So now, when you go into your training camp in the next season. You feel confident, like you feel like you, you have a legitimate chance to start the season with Quebec. Well, sure, you feel better about it, right? Yeah, you feel better that you can uh, you, you understand the game a little bit, and you've hoping you made the steps to get in there and go after it. Mm -hmm. And uh, if my notes are correct, you did have a rematch with Chris Nyland in the preseason while he was with Boston. Uh yeah, I could have. Well, that, maybe that's the one that I'm talking about. Maybe that's the one that was in Halifax. Maybe. Maybe. Okay. It could be. Again, listen, you're going way back to stuff that I haven't thought about forever. You know, we're, we're getting, like, we're getting up there, my friend. We are on the back nine, as they say. I'm trying. So, now when, you, so when you start dipping back to 89-90, like, yeah. I get a little fuzzy. I'm trying like, I'm to fuzzy. Like, I can't remember what the Stars did against <laughs> New Jersey three games ago, and you're asking me about what happened, you know, with the Nordiques in 90. Part oh, of, please, go ahead. Part of this interview is to get your brain moving. Oh, my God. I want to stir up these memories. Get the ladle out. Let's go. <laughs> so, so obviously, you go into camp. You think you think yeah. you have a legitimate shot making it, and then you're sent down to Halifax. I can't imagine that sat well with you. No, with anybody, right? You're yeah. trying to make it. And like I say, it's 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 hard. It's tough, and you're fired up. And what, what can you do, right? You just got to go and continue to play. And it's hard. You know, it's, it's a real difficult time, but that's the way it is, you know. Yeah. When you look at it, and you know, I, to try to make a team, it's tough. I mean, there's so much competition, and and that's what I was thinking. I was just going to stick with it. You know, that first year in Halifax, all I wanted to do was not go to the East Coast. Mm -hmm. And the only reason I didn't was because I worked so hard to stay in the league. And then the next year, they knew how hard I worked the year before, so that's why I got the call up to Quebec. And then the next year, you know, I just didn't have the skill, and you just got to figure out a way. So you stick with it. 
And if you look at the way I did it, it's a long and windy road. And that's that's why I say I'm a four, I was a fourth liner. I was a seventh D, and that's the way it is with life with me. And you just got to keep pushing. It's it's just staying with it. It's being consistent. Well, to your credit, to your credit, as much as you, I'm sure you were very unhappy about going down. You had a solid season. Um, one guy I'd like to ask you about. It's a guy that you fought once when he was an opponent, but now he's on Halifax. He's sort of a minor league legend. <laughs> Is, uh, He's Mr. a legend, Serge Roberge, the Rumbler. Yeah, so uh, love the Rumbler. Tell me about him. Well, when you play against Serge, first of all, you don't know if he can speak English, but the only thing you know is that he knows a couple words, and that is, "Do you want to go?" <laughs> as you as you skate around the ice, every time he steps on the ice, he looks at you and he says, "Do you want to go?" And that's <laughs> Serge. It's funny because you you play against him and you know he's he's a legend and he just all he wants to do is fight and then again like Killer Kaminsky when you get to know the guy man what what a great dude you know what I mean yeah. awesome like one of those guys that you see him today you just give him a great big hug because he's such a great guy but when he's on the ice all he wants to do is beat the living wheels off you every day yeah yeah it's awesome yeah he's awesome uh, now how. I know, I know you're you're an emotional guy, and you had a great season down in Halifax. Yet the Quebec was the worst team in the league. Were you? Do you know if you were ever close to getting recalled? I don't know. You don't yeah. know those things. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. sure. You, I wasn't. You really sure. don't. Mm-hmm. It doesn't does matter. No, because you weren't, and that's just the way it is. You know, you go back and you look at how you do things and how you interact, and you know, everybody knows there's things that you could do differently. Yeah. But that's the way it is. That's what makes our lives right moving mm-hmm. forward. Uh, and for whatever reason, I just didn't have the opportunity, because little did I know it was even going to get harder. Because during that next year in Halifax, I, I cracked a vertebrae in my back. Oh shit! Okay. Like yeah, that's when, that's when it's tough. And I think I still played fifty games. I believe it was. Yep. Somewhere along the way, so yep. that was part of the reason. Like that to me was the probably one of the hardest things that I ever had to do was. I just it's called spondylolisthesis. I had a small crack in my vertebrae. God damn. And I was yeah, and I was putting on my I could feel it and you know because the problem was when I was younger when I lifted weights, I, you know, as like anybody else too heavy, too hard, mm. not proper form like now that I'm educated in that area like the stuff that I, I was such a retard, mm. excuse the language, but I was so bad at I just didn't think about what I was doing. So that year and I, and I would train and train and train very little rest and I could feel my back tensing up I could feel it and then one day I was sitting out the team was away or I was trying to skate and I went to put on my skates in the dressing room in Halifax and it all locked up my whole back so I was stuck hunched over and I couldn't move any way that I tried to get comfortable I couldn't and I'm by myself at the rink oh shit yeah so I'm stuck I am stuck at the rink in the dressing room nobody around and it took me probably, and I can't remember the exact, probably 30 minutes to get down to my side to relax a little bit because I was stuck in that position of leaning over, pulling on my skates. Oh, my God. And, yeah, and it was crazy, and I couldn't move. So finally someone gets there and, and, and gets me the Valium and all that stuff, or not Valium, whatever it is, they give me the, the muscle relaxers yeah. or whatever, whatever loosened me up a little bit. So for the rest of the year, I had to deal with this thing, and it was so hard. And yeah, 50 games is what I played. I can't believe I yeah. played that many because that's crazy. Yeah. Because there were times that I could not 
even get into my car, well, I did get in my car, barely get into my car, because every time I went to lift my knees on both sides, you know, your hip flexors are attached to your back, mm -hmm. and every time you go to lift, it's excruciating pain. God damn. Yeah, so I'd have to get to the rink, and I would get there probably two hours before the game would start, and I'd have a shower. I'd have a shower for probably 45 minutes and just try to get my back warmed up. And this was after a little rehab and being off the ice for a while. But I had to deal with that for the rest of my career, basically. Sure. And, and you know, because I find it funny. When you hear the money bags talk about playoffs <laughs> and sucking it up in playoffs, and, you know, all the guys that you're talking to that played for the Islanders and all the tough guys and stuff, you know, the guys that are in the, the money bags that have to do that in playoffs, everybody looks at them, oh, they're so tough. They're so, <laughs> but ask Kelly Chase what he's doing on November 12th uh, in a back-to-back -back scenario and how he's feeling when he's got to fight Probert one night and then go to Domi the next night and down the list of guys with the injuries that he has. Yep. That's where we are. I broke my nose in uh, when I was playing New Jersey Devils in practice. You know, I didn't have time. I'm not going to go to the bench. I'm, I throw Kleenex in. I finish the finish the practice and that's what you do as a tough guy you know what i mean you yep. don't the nose is over there guess what nobody cares let's play yeah and that's all it is oh. you know so I, that's that's why it's always funny when you hear you know in the, in the news these, these guys these superstars <laughs> who have to suck it up during playoffs which they do and it's great but the guys that you do on this podcast you ask any one of them you know what it took for them to get through the day some days it was it's pretty amazing what they can do yeah i had um Jamie Rivers on the last one because he played a season with the Islanders and he's a great interview and he told me a story about a guy that I know you're aware of, a guy named Jerry Fleming who uh, basically put Jamie's nose on the other side of his face and uh, you know just they had to stick those things up his nose and everything so you know it's definitely a much different grind nowadays than it was back then. The only difference is back then you didn't want pats on the back about it, you just went about your business. Correct. Yeah, and even a guy like I watched Jamie Ben was it last night? I believe uh, the stars are out of town and they're playing in, in her, against the Hurricanes, and he gets a stick to the eye. You can see it goes real nice one. Like he got a pretty good gash about it. And guess what? He didn't go down. Yeah. He kept playing. He went to the bench. He didn't go get stitches because he didn't have to, obviously. But he was he was pretty cut up. You know, it was a good bang. Yeah. It was a nice one. But he went out there and played. You know. Mm -hmm. So there's still guys like that, and that's where you got to tip your hat to a guy like Jamie. They're like. Thanks, buddy. That's the way to suck it up. Yeah, you definitely salute the old school guys nowadays mm -hmm. anyway because they're, they're yeah. very few and far between. Well, I think anybody these days who goes and walks shots, you got to give them hats off. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, my God. Some of the way these guys shoot these days, and if you watch uh, Colt Franco for the St. Louis Blues tee it up, like, I'm out on that. Like, there's no way I'm flopping on that thing. <laughs> I am getting, getting the F out of the way because that kid can hammer the puck. Oh, uh, yeah. So, um, you, after that season in Halifax, arguably your best season, you're traded to New Jersey. Uh, what was your reaction to that? Oh, yeah, let's move on. Keep going. But that was not my best season coming up. You're, you're getting to it slowly. The thing was, we moved. Uh, I got to go to the New Jersey Devils. Yeah. And, obviously, uh, the great Herb Brooks was my coach mm -hmm. for the first year. Yeah. And that was interesting. And then, obviously, the second year, I had my old buddy, Robbie Fatorik, come back and coach me uh, in Utica. Got to be captain that year, and uh, we talked about guys, again, that can change the way you play. Mm -hmm. Again, my game went through the roof. If you, if you look at my stats, I believe I had 20 goals, 52 points, and 240 penalty minutes that year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And if you look at the roster for the New Jersey Devils that year, they had probably 10 defensemen under one-way contracts. That's crazy. So out of anybody on that team, I was the only one not to get called up. Oy. Yeah, exactly. Oy, now, you want to, yeah, you want to talk about some bitter days? Yeah. yeah, those were some bitter days where you're just like, because all the guys were young and they were great. You know, Jim Dowd, we had Ben Hankinson, David Emma, Jared Scaldi, Bill Guerin was hopping in and we had some goaltender. What the heck was this kid's name? Marty Brodeur? Yeah, he's I think pretty he was, good, I think. Yeah, I heard he was pretty good and uh, he was there. Yeah. So we had all these young kids coming through, Scotty Pellerin, you know, fans for New York or for New Jersey will know these guys. Yeah. And uh, all these guys were going up and down, and except for me as a defenseman. So, I and Utica. Have you ever been to Utica? Interesting. It's an interesting place. <laughs> Snowy. If you take all the snow in the world, and for some reason it, it funnels down and it just falls right on Utica, right there. <laughs> they call it, they call it a lake effect, and it's just cold. And there's one restaurant in the whole place, so it was tough. The good thing was all these kids, and I call them kids, they were all young guys coming out of junior and college. It was a blast. We had a great time, and I had a great year, and Robbie Fatorik was outstanding. And uh, from that point on, that, that season really was, was the reason that I was able to turn that year into Florida Panthers and New York Islanders, Colorado Avalanche and Ducks and Stars and all that because of that year. Yeah. Now... We, we, you and I have discussed, you know, your, your time in Utica, you know, one on one, and, and you just mm-hmm. uh, talked about it now. So, for for a guy, a guy like you, who you you wear your heart on your sleeve, you're a mm-hmm. leader, you're the captain, but the situation is one that's frustrating. How do you how do you manage that psychologically in your head, where you know you have a job to do, you know you're wearing the captaincy, but you you had to feel like at a certain point. Unless three or four or five guys get hurt up there, I'm not getting a shot. Oh, it'd have to be six guys. There was just okay. too many guys. Yeah. Like there was no chance in in heck that I was getting up at all. Mm-hmm. And that was tough. And I didn't handle it very well. So I I hadn't learned yet. And that's the next season in Florida is when I learned this is how to manage your emotions because there was too much up and down with the way you are. You know what I mean? I had to, and like you said, I wear my emotions on my sleeve, but I. Because you have to elevate your game as a fighter, as a, as a player. You have to elevate your game. You got to, you got to get as a, close to 100 percent as you can. To do that, it takes all day. You have to get yourself in a state. And I, I wish I could explain to people what it's like to, for a game day. You know, because when people and fans they look at a team and they said they're dogging it, or they're not bringing their best, or they're floating, but that they're floating at 98 percent. Mm-hmm. I know it doesn't seem like that, but they're, they're floating because they they're not giving everything they have that night and that's why it doesn't look good and you have to be especially for steps like myself you got to bring everything you can emotionally physically mentally you know you got to be sharp and if you're not you suck so I thought I had to bring my emotional state up to that so whenever I wouldn't get called up instead of you know talking to people and all stuff I would go on the ice and I would work as hard as I could like nut bar hard like I wouldn't talk to anybody and I would just seriously, I'd come down and my slap shot would be everything I could. Then I'd stop in front of the net, then I'd hustle back in the corner. And I did this over and over for an hour and a half or whatever the practice was, because I was so angry and so mm-hmm. mad. And then I'd go crank iron for two hours. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because you have to, you were, I was trying to make myself physically worn out so my head wouldn't feel so bad 
for what was going on because when you're so close to the NHL and you can't be there or you can't do it, yeah. so frustrating because that's all you want to do. I bet. Um, and Utica is where the fake dump around started, correct? It started actually in Halifax with Robbie Fatorik again. We used to practice okay. that all the time. And I don't know if fans know what the, fa- the fake dumper is, but what it is, as a defenseman, you usually get the puck and you before you cross the red line and you're going to hard rim it, you're going to rim it around the boards, uh, usually the goalie's going to cheat and he's going to step out and try to stop the puck before it goes, you know, 100 feet around the boards and he's got to stop it. So what I would do, and Robbie had, and I had worked on it, that you send three or four of them in a game so the goaltender he's cheating a little bit more each time and then the next time when you feel like he's he's really cheating and really trying to get out there too early instead of sending it towards the corner you fake like you're going to throw it to the corner and dump it in but you do a little hard right or a hard left and you open up towards the goal and you bury it in the goal so it's called the fake dumper and it's from center ice and uh it usually I'm a left-handed shot, so it works better if you're going toward the right corner on that side. It's just you open up better. And as a matter of fact, they just played it. For, I just had a birthday uh, a few days ago, and the people at Fox pulled my goal, my very first goal in the National Hockey League, from the Florida Panthers, and it was a fake dumper on uh, Darren Poopa. So uh, everybody got to look at, at at that goal. So yeah, it's something that I worked with Robbie over and over and over with, and uh, I think a couple guys have done it. I believe there's a there's a kid in uh, Florida that's done it a couple times, and you see it now and then when the kids are trying it. Nice. So you're yeah. so you you probably brought it to the mainstream, is what you're saying. I doubt that it was something that I brought <laughs> to the mainstream, but. I think half my goals, my NHL goals, all 10 of them were because of the fake dumper. Yeah, I got many goalies, man. I got so many goalies that I missed the net a lot too because you really have to sell it and yeah. you got to open up your hips and your body to shoot the puck down the ice. And I hit the post on Patrick Wall, you know, all kinds of stuff. But we had so much fun working on that because Robbie Fatorik, if, if no one knows Robbie, as a coach, he was always the first one on the ice. Every, a half hour before practice started, Robbie Fatorik's on the ice working with the goaltenders or working with anybody who wants to. So from that point on, when Robbie and Halifax would get there early, that's kind of what I did. And from that year on, I was the first guy on, last guy off every day for 26 years. I was I always had to be the first guy on because I had to work on my game, work on this, but it was because of him and how he showed me how to work and little things. And it was a great time to be with your teammates and work on the backup goalie or whatever people wanted to do, you know? I love the respect. What I hear it in your voice, guys like Coach Drake and Robbie, how much you, have, mm-hmm. how much respect and love you have for them. I do have a question. At any point in your relationship with Robbie, did you ever make fun of the helmet that he used to wear as a player? Oh, always. Yeah, Jesus, what okay. was that? His sweat, the sweaters and his helmet. <laughs> that, of course. Like, that, it's too easy, right? Oh, that was a terrible lid, I got to tell you. Oh, my God. And you got if you, if you haven't seen it, go Google it. It is the worst thing ever. <laughs> Well, it's the worst. It's between him and Butch Goring, probably. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I remember when I think of Robbie as a player, I just remember it seemed like he wore his helmet high up on his head, too. So it was awful helmet and a lot of forehead. Probably, yeah. Like He's so old that I, I, I don't even remember him playing, quite honestly. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, so, um,. You were eventually... I love the silence. I love the silence. You're like, what did you say? No. <laughs> so you, 
you were traded uh. back to Winnipeg. But now before the trade... Oh, Jesus. Well, yeah, hold on. Right. Yeah, now oh, before wait. the trade, yeah, were you me. actually in camp with New Jersey? And then you were traded during camp? Yeah, I was actually like, how did it work? Gosh, I can't even remember. It was so many. I think I was on seven teams in a matter of 24 hours or something. I I moved around because oh, I know I was in Chicago. So I think it was. Big, yeah, I got my, If If gosh, I, I honestly, I don't. Let me re, I let me look it up. Honestly, let me see. I think you were in you were in camp with Jersey. You got traded to Winnipeg. If I remember what you told me, you did your medicals with Winnipeg. And I think you were were you going you were gonna yeah. play an exhibition game in Chicago and then you got traded to Florida. Does that sound right? It's so yeah, I knew I was in Chicago. I couldn't remember it like because the Panthers were there, I think, for their very first game in the NHL. I couldn't play because I was still late and all that. Uh, yeah, it, oh my gosh, that's something again I have not thought about for a very long time. But yeah, it was absolute carnage because I was <laughs> moving around so much. And then eventually boom, I'm in Florida and I can remember on the plane flying to Florida and it's weird because I've never really been in that hot of climate before Yeah, and everybody knows 20 minutes before the plane lands that there's a dip you feel a little dip the nose drops mm -hmm. and all of a sudden I could feel the humidity of the of the state all around it I, I couldn't figure out why am I sweating like why am I sweating <laughs> and I'm not even in the I'm not doing anything so it was interesting mm. it was interesting and yeah to end up in Florida after all that um uh, but a pretty cool year to see a, a team starting out and, and hopping in and being involved with everybody there was, uh, again, one of those really cool experiences that you look back on and say, you know what, I'm really glad that I was able to see and do that. What uh, what was that whole experience like? Because you're really, uh, I'm sure they had some minor league teams uh, in Florida before the Panthers, but you're introducing Major League Hockey, NHL Hockey, to really a, a city, a state, yeah. you know, yeah. And um, you know they have Tampa. They had Tampa, uh, and now your guys are in Miami. Uh, and you played in places like Quebec and like Halifax and yeah, places that have different. had hockey forever. And now this is a brand new experience, not only for them but for you also. Well, uh, yeah, big difference. When I got called up to Quebec, and I was from Halifax, my very first call up, I think there was probably fifteen cameras in the dress room talking to me to get me ready for the game. And we're in Florida, there was, uh, well, I think there was one beat writer, and I don't think it was a camera a lot of the time. <laughs> so it was it was really different, really new, but that, that was the, the neat thing about it. We were introducing hockey to a whole new segment of, uh, of the southern United States, and, and it was cool. It was fun to see. People were into it, and we were just a bunch of misfits that were cast off by other teams, and we were able to have a great year, and, and we would play strong defensive under Roger Nielsen and the trap was this if you want to talk trap if anybody out there wants to talk trap I can talk trap for days I know everything about it because we went I bet you on his video every single day I can tell you positioning where to be what to do but we destroyed teams not destroyed but we manhandled we frustrated teams because that's all we did we would throw the puck in if we couldn't get in on the forecheck we'd sit back and trap the living junk out of them and we countered and we'd win games 2-1 and 3-2 and 4-3 and uh, we came so close to making the playoffs that first year but we did not I think we were, th I think we were three points out or something like that in a while and we just couldn't do it and I still use it in the broadcast is that right? I talk about teams that are looking outside the playoffs looking in mm -hmm. 
and then how difficult it is to get in because we as the Florida Panthers were there for quite some time and just couldn't get in. You know, I, I have to go back and look, but I, you know, February or something, we were right there, and but just couldn't make it. So I have to ask you about one of your teammates in Florida, and I think you know who I'm going to ask you about. Uh, <laughs> the pride of Beamsville, Paul Laws. Uh, yeah. Tough as nails, that kid, huh? Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, he falls in the category of beauty, doesn't yeah. he? He's a, he's a good cat, but, man, could he fight and he loved it. He's like one of those guys. Like I think a lot of us, and you've talked to a lot of tough guys, some guys kind of like him, some guys don't. This right. This cat, he enjoyed it. Yeah. He liked to get out there, and it didn't matter. And uh, and what was good though, like he started out fighting, but his game came around, and after a while, he could, he was a pretty reliable defenseman. You know yeah. what I mean? No superstar, no question, but a guy that could help your team. So it was nice to see his transition. Yeah, and he had those crazy eyes. You know? Uh, oh, did he ever? Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I and I love it. You know what? I love it because I I, I compare him to uh, like Ken Danico with the Devils, and mm-hmm. you got Paul who's. Uh, played his career in Florida. You know they wore the same number. They played the same position. But you know where Paul, you know, started out pr- uh, pretty much as an enforcer. Uh, eventually developed his game, and now he has to be a- an icon down there. I would think. Yeah, it's uh, it's a name that people remember. No question about it. Yeah. And uh, you know, what he reminds me a little bit of is, is Ty Domi because if anybody had seen Ty Domi when he was in the minors. Mm-hmm. Like the kid had a little trouble turning to his left, even worse than I did, and I, and he, I think he knows that. But then you watch his game and watch how it unfolds, and not only does he become one of the toughest guys ever, but he chips in and, and he can play the game by the end of it. You know what I mean? So it, it's pretty cool to see those kind of guys and what they uh, what they did and the hard work that they put in to be not only the tough guys but to be players in the league. So we're going to talk about a few of the fights from this year. Do you remember your first fight as a Panther? Regular uh, it's season. Probably, uh, it's probably old line, isn't it? Nope. It's Is it? No. Derek King. Oh, geez. Sorry, Derek. You I crushed didn't... Pierre Turgeon, and Derek King took exception. Do you remember that? No, I don't, obviously. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think that turned out well for Kinger. Have you ever seen it? I don't know. Oh, I've seen it. Yeah, it wasn't great, but, you know, full marks for him for stepping in, you know, for oh, sure. uh, Turgeon, you know. So, okay. Uh, second is not... <laughs> It's not so much a fight, but it was something um, you had an earlier incident in game uh, in a game versus Boston. You had an incident with Adam Oates, and um, okay. Darren Banks challenged you. And as you were skating oh, off yeah. the ice, you had yeah. a conversation with Brent Hughes. Do you remember the conversation? <laughs> of course not. No, I do remember the fight though, but okay. I don't remember the conversation. It, it just seemed like very I said, funny. I can't remember yesterday. I know it. Just, you know, the only reason why I'm asking is you seem pretty animated during it, so I didn't know if uh, he said something that really rocked your world or anything. Yeah, but he he was squaw. He's that kid squawked all the time. Yeah, yeah, all the time. You know, he was like a Matthew Barnum. He just couldn't stop the yap from yapping. So yeah, <laughs> no, I don't remember that one either. Okay, so now we get to the Lyle Oda line. Uh, I think he had three uh, yeah. fights with him that season, and the first yeah. one, I think it was the first one that made every highlight real. So uh, yeah. care to discuss that? Yeah, that was that was pretty interesting too. You know, uh, I know how tough he was. I know he had to be careful, and I think he kind of misjudged me a little bit. Um, and I got fortunate. You know, what happened was I was faking rights, faking rights, and then I could see that he was really trying to because he loved to pull that sweater. What he liked to do, and thanks to you and all your tapes, I, I knew that he likes to bring the elbow in and try to pull the jersey off. So I was kind of waiting for that a little bit, and and I felt it. I felt him turn a little bit, and I threw a left hand. 
and I caught him just right. He went, and then I turn buckled him off the uh, crossbar, and he went down. So that was uh, when people went nuts. And uh, from that point on, I think he well, he hated my guts, and he just wanted to fight me every every time. He was like Serge, want to go, want to go, you want to go, you want to go. So yeah, well, and then we fought immediately after that. And that was the the one immediately after that. Is that when he came basically came out of the box and took his helmet off and his jersey off? Yeah. And- yeah, you know. and I was just, and I was tied down, and I was trying to get out, and I'm backpedaling and trying to get my jersey off as quick as I could, Yeah, and uh, I think I was able just to get a, a little bit of it off, so yeah, always fun now that it's over with. <laughs> so, yeah. my next question was going to be about your first NHL goal, but we've discussed that already with the fake mm-hmm. dumper against Darren Poopa, so the last fight I want to ask you about this year, and since you didn't remember your first one, you may not remember this last one, it was against Mick Vakoda again. Uh, and my question was, do you think this was a result of the first fight of the year where Derek stepped in for Pierre, and now maybe you and Mick didn't get a chance that game, and Mick was maybe, you know, you guys all have long memories, and this was Mick's way of uh, getting some revenge. Okay, let me ask you something. you think Mick wanted to fight? Absolutely. Like, he just, oh, yeah. he's trying to pad the minutes. Here we are. No, we, <laughs> hey. He's worse than me. He probably couldn't remember three games ago either. So he was just looking for he was just looking for a little mess, a little mess up, a little dust up, right? It was an excuse. Yeah, yeah, it was good. We just had a little chat. I remember that one because it was like, yeah, good job. We'd go, yeah. went, went, went to the bench, sat down, and that was it. So you're never one to rest on your laurels, but at the end of that season, did you kind of take a deep breath because you had finally, let's say, made it? You played a full yeah. season in the NHL, like. Like, do you remember that feeling of, of yeah. you did it? Well, yeah, and that was the thing, because then in the summer, I, I remember I, I stayed in Florida, and I was, I brought some people in. I brought the Turcotte group, I forget who exactly came, and we worked on stick handling in the summer. And I remember that, because I remember I wanted to change some things, I wanted to do some things, and, and I don't think people were doing that back then, but I was trying to work on that part of my game, and what happened was, is that, Probably I tried to do too much a year about the sophomore slump and all that sort of stuff. The next year, I, I really tried to implement some of that stuff, and it was probably outside of my range. And you start to lose the puck, and you're not doing the right things. You see a lot with players. Uh, we have a kid named Miro Haskin in here in, in Dallas, and he's probably one of the best young defensemen next to Scott Niedemeyer that I've ever seen. Like, he's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. But last year, he, he, you know, he was great. And this year, you could just see little things, still outstanding, but he just makes plays maybe that he shouldn't or, or not as crisp as he once did. But he's going to be fine. Next year, he'll change and he'll learn. But, and guys know him better. So I think with me, that was kind of the thing what I did. I was trying to do too much. You hear that a lot about defensemen. If you try to do much, you're going you're to be in trouble. So now when I train and talk with defensemen, this is what I always say. If you can go back, get the puck, make the first pass out, you're going to play 20 years in the National Hockey League. That's what you got to do. Mm-hmm. And for me, I tried a little bit too much toe drag and stick handling uh, now that I look back on it. So probably taking that first year, maybe getting cocky, but maybe trying to do a little bit too much instead of sticking to my game. Um, well, you can't be faulted for that, you know, trying to, to improve yourself, you know. Well, um, here's, how, here's how it is. When you don't have hands, you can't have hands. That's just, <laughs> that's just the way it's going to work, okay? For everybody listening out there, if you don't have hands now, you're never going to have them. Just try to work on your overall game, all right? Sound advice, sound advice. Thanks, So, <laughs> before you, you know, that summer you say and you're working on this stuff and you played your first full season, uh, the next season, that was the lockout year, right? Yes. So the, there were actual training camps held, though, right? And then the lockout happened? 
I believe so, yeah. Yeah. But it just, you know, guys like like me, like just everybody else with all the money bags, right? They're going yeah. overseas. They're doing different things. They're skating. They're all playing together. And the, the sluggos, what are we doing? Yeah. We're cranking iron and trying to stay in shape. And, and I needed to play. Yeah. You know, it, it takes guys like us a good month to get going, to get up to speed. And we never knew exactly when the season was going to start or what was going to happen or who. You just didn't know. And there was a lot of unsettling stuff going on, so we didn't know. And for, for like I said, they got lesser skilled guys. I think it really hurt us to come back and, and play after that. The, when you did come back, you ended up playing nine games. Uh, in one game against Tampa, you fought both Rudy Koshek and Enrico Ciccone. So, oh, nice, yeah. Um, how was that? <laughs> you know, you were when you got called up to Quebec, you were you were thrust into a rivalry. Now you're part of the start of a rivalry. Um, were those games, not that they could compare, but were the Tampa games more intense than the other games? I think they tried to make them intense. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. of the, the natural geography of the, the two places. But yeah, it was, it was fun and it was there. And they, but for us, for, for the Florida Panthers, we were just about, you know, we were more cast offs. Like I said, we were always behind the eight ball. We had something to prove. We had a chip on our shoulder with everybody. Yeah. And I think when we played, you know, went and played teams like Montreal or Toronto, you know, you get up for those kind of games too as well. But yeah, the, the Tampa, Florida thing, it's never really got going because they haven't had any long duration playoff series. Right. Um, but we, they tried. They were really trying to push it, a little manufactured, but it, it was just um, the geography of the two teams more than anything. Now, when you're in Florida, do you remember, uh, I think, the uh, director of public relations, Greg Boris? Mm, of course, okay. yes. So now, before Greg was in Florida, he was here with the Islanders. So okay. I had known him a little bit. And he, when I was, I was working for Bruce Bennett Studios, a team photographers, and Greg had a relationship with Bruce. And like I said, I had known Greg from when he was here. So every now and then, if Greg would call, I'd always ask, hey, how's Seve doing? How's Seve doing? And then one day he calls, and I'm assuming he's calling to speak to Bruce. And I said, oh, hold on. He goes, no, I'm actually calling to talk to you. I'm like, oh, hey, what's up? He goes, uh, I just want to let you know uh, your boy is coming to play for you guys. I said, what? And he goes, yeah, Seve, uh, we traded Seve to the Islanders. And I said, get out of here. And he's like, yeah, I thought you should know. So I was like, holy shit, this is incredible. So I was pretty, I was pumped about that. What was your reaction? Uh, obviously, leaving Florida was tough because I really enjoyed the guys and everything, and it's uh, really the first time that I was traded in you know midseason in the NHL. So that's you're moving from one to the other. It was a unique situation, but you move on, right? And that's that's the biggest thing when you're a guy like I am and just lucky to be there. You move on, and away you go. Yeah, you're disappointed, but you look on, and uh, what's the next adventure that's going on? Yeah. So um, one guy. I'm going to ask you about a couple of guys, but there's one guy I have to ask you about who I ask everybody about who played with them, and that's Darius Kasparaitis. Mm-hmm. What, were your, yes. what were your thoughts on the ghost? <laughs> the ghost. <laughs> uh, on the ice for Darius Kasparaitis, you never, like, some days you're having a nice, quiet game. Everything's going on. You're maybe winning. And he decides to submarine somebody. Mm-hmm. He, he decides to go after somebody and guess what You're, it's the bag of knuckles and we're going after guys and, and the game ignites 
Yep. So that's the way he was, right? He just he didn't care. He would go out and try to run someone at times, and all of a sudden you're like, "Jeez, <laughs> here we go!" You know, yeah. you got Bob Rover out there, or someone chasing us around because he decides that he wants to submarine someone with one of his great hip checks. Mm-hmm. But hey, even even to this day, I use a couple of his uh, on ice drills that he has. Yeah. His lateral movement was unbelievable. His skating was great. His, his ability to move that puck up, he, he was awesome that way. Yeah, and uh, he he was a lot of fun to watch and play. And like I said, I still to this day use some of his drills. Mick uh, told me a story about uh, a game they were playing. You, I don't know if you were with the team yet, uh, and they were going to Philadelphia. And uh, I guess on the bus right there, he told Casper, he's like, "Hey, why don't you just leave Dave Brown alone, you know, tomorrow? Just leave him alone. Let him, <laughs> you know, just let him do his thing, whatever." So of course, you know, on his first shift, what does he do? Goes after yeah. Dave Brown right in front of the I bench. Know. So, I know. <laughs> so, hey, you know what? You should ask Mick. I think Mick was the ghost too, but for a different reason, I think. Well, I'll uh, I'll ask him now. <laughs> we'll have to talk off off the air about that one. I will. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll, We'll talk a later time. Sounds good to so, me. So, yeah, yeah, and the Long Island was interesting, you know what I mean? Like, I'd never been in New York area, and it's a different spot. You know, it's, it's, it's different from every other city that I've been involved with, every other city, and it's got a unique feel to it, and there's a lot going on, and it's it's busy, right? And I am a small-town kid that likes to stay in my lane, and uh, there was a lot there. In New York, there's a, there a lot going on there, and people are great. But you have to get to know them, right? You really have to get to know people like you. You know, and yeah. unless I, you knew someone, you know, you're probably getting in a little fu match at Starbucks, waiting in line. <laughs> yeah, it's right? a, it's, a, it's an acquired taste. Yeah. So, yep. You know, uh, well, one, I think the game, I think your first game was against Ottawa, if I'm not mistaken, in Ottawa. But I, I think the game that most Islander fans will remember your getting to know you was a game that you had in Quebec. Uh, where you fought some guy named Chris Simon twice. I don't know if you may have heard of him. Yes. He had a yes. bit of a reputation as being a little Jeez. impetuous. I know, yeah. I was scared silly, for sure. <laughs> I like, mean, the size of that guy was unbelievable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was big, he was strong, and he was knocking guys out. He was crushing guys. Yeah. So here's the only saving grace with Chief. The only, And I mean the only saving grace for me is that he wasn't very strong. So thank goodness for that because of that I was able to control him a little bit Yeah. and right in the middle of the fight he's going you're so strong, you're so strong and I'm like oh my god you're so big, you're so big and he's trying to knock my block off right Yeah. but yeah yeah. and, and because of those two fights it's the reason that I ended up in Colorado eventually Yep. down the road Yep. so yeah because I did so well against him and then he had a falling out with uh, the avalanche Chris Simon did I was able to come in and uh, that was my first introduction into being a heavyweight fighter so now we get to the part of the interview uh, that could get a little you know I don't want to I'm gonna let you handle this okay you must have had you must have had other people talk about this guy right oh like, yeah me absolutely that. I had other people talk about oh, this guy gosh, there's so, so much that goes on yeah so um, I think Mick probably took the best tack, and he said, he goes, I don't have to, he goes, I don't want to badmouth the guy. He goes, it's easier for me just to tell you stories of what he did, and you'll get an idea of the kind of guy he is. And the stories he told, uh, he told one story, I, I don't know if you were with the team, or get, no, you were with the team, um, 
when I guess it was a game in LA where he told Dan Plant to jump Wayne Gretzky off the faceoff. Do you, do you remember that? No. Yeah, and and he go he was like we're sitting on the bench, and he goes Plant looks over to the bench and all the guys on the Islander bench are like shaking their heads like no, and he said Gretzky looks at him and goes Don't do it, kid. Don't do it. And you know so like no, I mean here's the thing. I'm not. I don't like the guy. Okay. Um, I know. I know some stories you've told me off the air that I would never repeat. That's your call. Uh, but no, everybody I've interviewed, even I, I interviewed Paul Cruz. Like even he had things to say. Um, you know, his short time with the Islanders. So um, I guess my question is, and, and I, I asked this to, to Mick. Uh, in the beginning, when Mike first got here. I think the the feeling around the team was one of optimism because I think he brought in that sort of um, aggressive rah rah type where uh, you know in the press conference everything was about winning and this and this and bringing a new style and 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 all this other stuff. So, do you remember in the beginning when he came in um, what your feelings were at that point? No, because it's like anything you hear all this stuff, but you just don't know what what the cat's like or what's going to happen or what's going to go on. So it's like, like you got to understand at that point in in our career, no matter what happens, it's you just you go with it, right? Yeah. You're just going to go with it. And yeah, it was some interesting stuff that went on, and a lot of it had to do with Mick too, as well. You yeah. know what I mean? Oh yeah, because Mick was fiery and uh, and all the stuff that he did, it was just anarchy sometimes. You know, mm-hmm. the way it was with with that group. But I think my uh, Milbury story that I like the best to tell everybody is there was a point there when I got in a fight, can't remember who it was with, but I think Pierre Rasco was the referee at the time, and I tried to get in and tossed him around a little bit, so they wanted to suspend me for three games. So, uh, you know, you have your hearing, and the hearing was going to take place in Long Island. It was going to take place in I think, Milbury's office or down by the dressing room or something. I think Brian Burke at the time, well, he was, he was the guy dulling out the discipline. And uh, they call me in, and, and I walk into the room, and these two guys, they are having its shits and giggles. They are telling stories, and they're having fun, and they're slapping each other on the back. And I'm like, going, oh, this is weird. This is a hearing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I walk in there, and I sit down, and we barely get into it. And I think they say, what do you think? And I was, well, I did this and this. And, and then I look over to Milbury. He says, you know what? Why don't you just take the three games and let's get going? So I said, what? <laughs> so I got, that was it. That was my hearing. Basically, Milbury, my coach, telling me to take the three games and just get the heck out of the room because they want to get back to their discussion. Jeez. And that, that was it. And that was it. That's what I remember of yeah. it. You know what I mean? That's what it felt like. They just dismissed me, basically. And I went on so it's three games that I'll never get back. And it, it bothered me because I knew every game to me was vital. Every game that I had the opportunity to step in and play was vital because I knew I was not going to be around very long and every minute mattered. You know what I mean? So for him to just dismiss my three-game suspension was a little bit – ruffled my feathers a little bit. Yeah. Is that um, – the next – that season training camp, I think that was the one that was held in Ontario, if I'm not mistaken, right? Uh, was that – the patch is that when we went? Yeah, I'm going to ask Ontario? you about that. I'm going to ask you about that uh, jersey. The jersey? Well, I was going to say I know in that training camp, I believe, I believe that training camp that was in Ontario, you had a lot of physical guys in that camp. You know, obviously guys like Mick and Brett Lindros and usual guys like Chanel and Pilon. 
uh, Brian McCabe, I think Wendell Clark was there. You had guys like Mike McWilliam, Jim McKenzie, Barry Nightcar. Oh my God! Right. So That's all these just... all these guys are in one camp. So I was going to ask you if you had any recollections of that camp. And the other question was, if you, I mean, it's really just like another Millberry thing. Like, did he run his camps differently than other guys who were say normal? Well, back then, there was nothing normal about camps, was there? Like, no. it was crazy. You were there all day, and you, you would you would work out, skate, fight, and then work out, skate, fight again. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> By the time you got home, you were you were ready to go, but you would get changed and go out for some beers. Yeah. That's the way it worked. That was mm-hmm. training camp, right? Yeah. So it, it was like that everywhere, though. I thought there was craziness at every training camp, so I, I don't think so in my mind. Because like you said, you go back to the Quebec days. Yeah. And those were as Looney Tune as any camp that I've ever been involved in. Right, right. Um, so that season is when they introduced the Fisherman jersey. So although you had, only, nice. you had only played a small percentage of the previous season wearing the classic logo, uh, everyone that has worn this stupid logo, I have to ask, what was your reaction to it? I was like, man, this is awesome. No, <laughs> you were not. You, there's no yeah, way. I thought it was great. You did yeah, not. I can't believe. Did really, guys say that they didn't like it. You're not. You're fucking with me. Oh, but really, it was great. Is it? You mean there was some uproar about it? They, they felt maybe that wasn't. <laughs> maybe no, I'm asking you why. Yeah, maybe a little bit. There was a little uproar about it. How can how can you be tough with a fisherman on <laughs> your jersey? No, I'm asking you. Like, you can't. I, I think I had 180 minutes that year, and but yeah. how can you? Yeah. How can you be tough? Seriously, like no one can take you serious. And you should see, I have a, you know, I used to have a gym. And I used to have that fisherman thing up, and all the kids were like, "What's that?" <laughs> they would be like, well, "What is that?" Yeah. And I said, "That's a, that's the greatest jersey ever, kids." Uh huh. They like it. Yeah. They well, like the, it, and the, and the Adam Ducks one they like, but they really like the fisherman. The um, you know, you, well, you probably don't know. Um, the Islanders are doing everything in their power now to sell that. You know, it's it's this generation of people now. These beta males um, that never lived through that, that love that logo and think it's the cat's ass. Like, it's, it's, really? It, it is unbelievable to me. And people are eating it up. And I'm just like, you know, it's all people that didn't live through it. And, you know, and it's like, and the thing I say all the time, like, listen, you're a hockey fan, I'm a hockey fan. I think we probably look at Wendell Clark the same way. Okay? Oh, jeez. And the fact that Wendell Clark was an Islander, to me, is awesome. The fact that the only <laughs> uniform he ever wore as oh an Islander is that fucking stupid fisherman is the stuff of nightmares. <laughs> I mean, honestly. I know. I'm looking at a couple right now. But yeah, the only thing worse is if you look at the Dallas Stars, they had a uniform that was like a bowl. Kind of with a green bowl of horns with a little swoosh. Yeah, it's like a uterus. It yeah, like yeah. A uterus. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, you, you think that jersey's bad? <laughs> this one's worse. So, well, as I, an just, I, I just bought McGill and you. I listen as, I an, as an Islander fan. I'm going to say that the fisherman is. I mean, it was just to me. It's the perfect. Not the worst though. Not it's the, the perfect logo for the Mike Milbury era to begin. <laughs> so, and but now to your credit. That season, 49 players wore that awful crest, okay? You nice. you were second on the team in plus-minus that year. Holy cow. Plus three. 
<laughs> second on the team. You had me. I was like, yes, and plus three. You were still, yeah, you were second on the team, though. Well, well here, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It looks like uh, Mr. Flatley, minus 24. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what I'm saying. You were second on the I team. Do. Hey, I actually do have a troll field. They gave me the plus minus award winner for that year. So I still have that somewhere in the See? wrapped up in the bag. There yeah. you go. There you go. Can you remember can you remember any time or not even any specific time, but when you were out there playing on the ice, did guys give you shit about the jersey? Everybody was just like, What the heck? what the hell? What is this? <laughs> like what what do you got? You know, it's like what are you wearing? Like, okay. <laughs> but after a while you just put it on like you know, the initial phase was like, What are really you can imagine Brian McCabe and his crew just squawking about this and, and going after it, but yeah, it was terrible. Yeah, just plain old terrible. So speaking of old Caber, um, you really seemed to click with him. Uh, took him under your wing. Um, he was minus twenty four that year. Jesus, I thought he was my partner. Well, uh, listen, if he's minus twenty four and you're plus three, pretty obvious who the strong side of the defense was that year. Hey, thanks a lot. Hey. I appreciate that. You're welcome. You're welcome. So what was uh, what was it about Brian that you guys seemed to click right off the bat? But, but hold on here, Caber played eleven hundred thirty five games and had five hundred twenty eight points. It's true, but let's just stick to the okay, season sorry. where you were okay. plus twenty seven more better than him. More better. <laughs> that's good English by me. Wow. So well, that's good. It yeah. Sound like me. Okay. <laughs> well, I was more better. You Caber. were twenty seven more betters. Yeah, and he, he was a character, that kid, you know, coming in, and you knew he was going to be a great player, Cabrin, and uh, and play a long time in the league. So, And him and him and Lindros, Brett Lindros, of course, were two peas in a pod, and they, they hung out together and did stuff together. So it was fun to see those kids come around, and, yeah, I was fortunate enough to spend a year with those, those clowns and, and the nonsense at that age that they were involved in. Here's a question I have for you, but... I have a different spin on it now after speaking to <clears throat> Vakoda. Um, as a fan, I was really aggravated at the way the whole Kirk Muller thing went down. Okay? Mm-hmm. And I kind of held it against him. And after speaking to Mick, he told me I, he a lot of the apprehension that Muller had about coming here had a lot to do with Milbury. Um, yeah. So my question initially was, how much of a distraction was the Kirk Muller fiasco? But... I don't think I should call it the Kirk Muller fiasco anymore because I think it was just yet another thing about Mike. Yeah, and that, you know, because he's such a good guy, you know, uh, Kirk is. He's such a quiet dude and such a, a great leader, you know. Obviously, was a captain of the uh, Canadians and stuff. and So him coming in was, was no problem. But, yeah, there was a lot going on. And it, it is, it's leadership. Like, any time stuff like that happens, I, and if I see a room and see what's going on within a room or a team is having trouble now, in the NHL of not working together or not they just they can't win these close games you look at and it's, it has a lot to do with leadership you know what I mean it really does and that's working from management down to the players and who you have in the room that stuff is so important yeah. it really is and then you know with the stars who I was with when they won the Stanley Cup you should see how tight the room is and no matter what because our you know the coach for the stars nobody I've never seen even more than Mike Milbury nobody Dislike this guy more, Ken Hitchcock, than the Dallas Stars in 1999. Mm-hmm. None of them. You know, I hear now them talking, all the guys talking about Ken and what a great guy he was and how he motivated them. And I'm like, who are you guys? <laughs> because they absolutely lambasted this guy. And, uh, it was interesting to see that. So, 
It has nothing to do with the coaching staff and the coach, you know, if the room is strong enough, but if it's not strong enough, you need some leadership. So uh, a personal highlight for you that year had to be the Gordie Howe hat trick you had against the Ducks at the Coliseum. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. It's not a big deal, as they say, right? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it, it's more about the goal than anything, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just the way it just the way it works but it's part of it and uh, like I say you, you look at your career and you want to hopefully have been a better player than you were and, move, and do more things but little things like that kind of put a little smile on your face whether it's good or bad and it's all the experience of being there and having having been able to play uh, quite a few years in the National Hockey League and stuff like that happened all the time and it was fun you know what I mean it's just fun stuff well correct me if I'm wrong um, I've never been in an NHL locker room as a player but Guys get hat tricks, and then guys get Gordie Howe hat tricks, and it seems like most of the guys who get the Gordie Howe hat trick are generally more of like the yeah. the lunch pail guys. So I would think a guy getting a Gordie Howe hat trick does a lot for the whole team. Like it's kind of like yeah, way to go. Like it's kind of like a team thing. You know, you got the Gordie Howe hat trick, but in the locker room, all the guys probably were so pumped for you. Well, yeah, it's more about those kind of guys getting the goal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. The goal. That's mm -hmm. when it means something. You know, yeah, it's funny, Gory Hell Hattrick, but it's really about the goal. Yeah. Whenever someone like me or guys that don't score or Mick, when they score goals, you know what I mean? That's the, the whole bench gets into it. So yeah. it's not necessarily about the, the Gory Hell part is easy, really, the fight. Like, if, if I had a goal and assist, it's easy to get in the fight, right? Yeah, right. But if right. I have a fight and get a goal and assist, you can't do it, so. Right. But yeah, it's more about the goal for those guys than the hat trick. But when a when a guy like uh, let's say a Tyler Sagan or someone who, who scores goals gets in the Gordie hat trick, then it's something, right? Because yeah. they don't usually fight, and that that means more. So it's kind of reversed a little bit. Yeah. Um, there was a game in Montreal that year. Um, there was an incident. A Canadian player was dumped on the bench. You almost jumped off the bench that night. Guy Chiron pulled you back. And oh, yeah. Now, the camera the camera stayed on you for a long time, and, and I don't know why, but you you seemed like you were, I don't want to say you were in a bad way, or you just seemed like oh, yeah. that was the yeah. probably the most angry I had ever seen you before. Oh, and gosh, yeah. So you remember well, the kid, that. Chiron called me out. Yeah, he called me out and said, if you want to fight, make sure you go out on the ice and fight, or something to that effect. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I was furious. And if, if you look at the fights that I had after that, well, yeah, I the next pounded guys. Well, that's what I was gonna say. And I don't care. I didn't care who they were. Yeah. I was angry, and and that's funny. I wish I could. When I go back and I think about that, if I could have got myself to that state more, yeah, because you know me, and I'm a real passive guy. I don't like conflict, all that sort of stuff. I'm an introvert, and I mind my own business, and I do all this other stuff. And yet, he infuriated me. Yes. Yeah. yeah, he got me mad. Like he got me angry, and especially a guy who's never fought in his life. And, you know, give it, just the way you did it, you know what I mean? Like, to say that, he fired me up for whatever reason. And you can tell by the look mm. that, you know, he called me out. He got a little pride. Don't do not yeah. do that, you know? The, but, yeah, he got me angry. We, uh, Andrew and I had, we were actually at, um, you remember, the Long Island Marriott. We were at Pitchers. Mm. And we were watching a game with a bunch of friends. And actually that night, some of the wives had gone there. And I remember uh, Bertuzzi's wife was there and, and a couple of other wives were there. And... So they have the game on the big screen, and like I said, they keep you on camera for so long, and it yeah. was, we were all basically, like, you know, it sounds silly to say, like, yelling at the TV, 
But we're all like, get the camera off him. Like, we know. Know, like we're all like, what? Something's obviously up. Like something's going on. You know, let's, you know, take the camera off him. Something is happening. You know, and then when you see all your teammates are coming over to you, yeah. patting you on the head, patting you on the back, and we were just like, something's up. Get the camera off him. You know, yeah, just too too emotional. You know yeah. what I mean? There's a thing where you weren't ready for something like that, and you're maybe struggling at the time or whatever it was. And like I said, you always had to bring, you're trying to bring your game up. You're trying to get yourself in a state, yeah. you know what I mean, to, to play these games. And then, then something like that happens and you're like, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? And just happened to hit me at the right time. Yeah. Snapped. Who knows what was going on? I can't remember exactly anything else going on at the life at that time, but who knows? Yeah. But um, yeah, I got fired up. And then after that, like, I, like probably for 10 games, like I was demoing guys. Like I didn't. I was going for it. You know what I mean. I wanted someone to absolutely hit me in the face because I was enjoying it, which didn't happen too often, obviously. Yeah. Well, no. You're God. You're so handsome. It's ridiculous. Thank God. No. Oh, well, thank you. Know it's, it, it, it's the money maker, and I'm a little uncomfortable right now. All right, let's move on. <laughs> well, the next night, the next night, you played Washington, and they were always a tough team. And you were at it with Tenorti a few times. Mm-hmm. Like you could tell, as someone who's followed your career and has seen the way you played, and you basically went about your job as a job. You did it when it had to be done. Yeah. You didn't do it if it didn't have to be done. You played the game. But that night against Washington, you could tell that the emotions were still there from the night oh, before. Oh, I wanted to kill him. Yeah, I did. Like I said, it's not too often that I was like that, mm-hmm. and that I wanted to, you know, give it to him, but. It just and I think I think he ran someone and I fought him. I know he yeah. or was at Long Island. I, I fought him at some point. It was on the island. Yep, that yep. was on the island when he ran somebody and I went after him. Yep. Um, and then uh, you had later on you had two fights against Vial. And the funny part about that game where you had two fights against him. Mm-hmm. In the first fight, your jersey came off. In the second fight, he took his jersey off. Yep, and I did not care. No. I, <laughs> didn't, I didn't. Yeah. If you look at the fight. I did not care. Mm-hmm. Didn't. I didn't. I and you know I did pretty good. He was so mad. That's why he came after me the second time. Yeah, because I got him on the first one, and I don't think he was ready for that. Well, um, was your time on the island? Was that like that season, the season and a half? Was it the most dysfunctional organization you've been with? Um, I mean, and, and it's based on one person. If we're, we're being honest, I mean, he he created yeah. a lot of it. So. Yeah, but when you're winning eight games in Quebec, that, that's a tough outing. That, yeah. that is a tough, tough year. And I was so young that it didn't matter to me. Yeah. But, you know, the give a heck factor to the Quebec guys, the, the, the older guys, was, now that I look back on it, was way off the chart. Yeah, <laughs> You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Did not care, and, yeah, that was that was a rough one. So but for me, like, I was just happy to be there again, right? I'm a young right. guy, rookie, coming in, playing in the NHL. Like, wait, hey, let's have at it. We could win a few more games, you know, but that's yeah. the way it goes. So let me ask you one more question about your time with the Islanders, and it's about a, a guy who I'm friends with. I, I think he's a great guy and everything, and and his journey to the NHL was a lot longer than a lot of people's. And that's uh, another Western League veteran, Mike McWilliam. Um, mm-hmm. When you're you're on a you're a team and you call yourself a slug and you do this and you yourself had a a long road to get there. When you see a guy like Mac make it and the and the road he took. Yeah. In the, Bus oh, yeah. rides in the minor league cities he played in. It has to make you feel good for a guy like that who you know nothing was handed to him, and mm-hmm. he worked his tail off and he finally reached the NHL. Even if it was for only six games, it was probably the six greatest games of his life. Well, sure. Uh, and if you're watching the news, you see this backup goaltender for the Hurricanes that got to play a game, right? Yeah. He got to play one game, and you know he's 42 years old. 
you know, he had no chance of playing. But for a guy like Mike, who was working and fighting and get, trying to do all he could to become an NHL player, and then finally to get off the opportunity, yeah, you got you got to do nothing but cheer for the guy. Yeah, absolutely. And even to this day, when you see, like, when I see an older player that has worked in the minors for so long, trying to get there, and he's got his opportunity, he plays again. You know, it's still it gets me a little choked up to see those guys for what they've done and how hard they've worked and how they've stuck with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that that is tenacity at its highest thing because it's not it's not fun to play in the minors all the time. Guys are making a little bit more money though down there yeah. these days if you look at it. Yeah. So I don't know if it's so bad. But yeah, it's you want to play in the NHL. That's just the bottom line. And uh, for Mike to get his opportunity and and to play six and get fourteen minutes right in fights or, or minutes and penalties, it's awesome. You know what I mean? It's it's something that he's gonna cherish for the rest of us for the rest of us you know mm-hmm. what I mean all of us who have played even one game um, have really enjoyed the the challenge of it and when you get there you know it, it is a, a little notch on the belt uh, how are you for time right now what you got a date no I'm my, fine thing, my, my my wife and my son are trying to fix the door so I have to limit what I have to say because mm-hmm. they're right there I understand no I just I'm good I just want to make sure you don't have better things to do uh, we'll have lunch or uh, no I'm good okay. how long more do you need well we're gonna touch on the, the last few teams you played on oh my goodness we're going through every one Jeez, not that I didn't notice, but let's do it. Yeah, all right, let's go. Listen, I told you, the most complete... Can you, do you do the editing? Are you going to able to edit this out? There's no editing. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> what, kind, what kind of show are you running? Nobody edits? No, dude, you I don't try take this to, out. I'm like Dickie Dunn. I try to capture the spirit of the thing. <laughs> all right. <laughs> So, what was your reaction? Well, okay, well, since, since nobody cares, let, let's let's do another ten minutes, and then and then we can come back if we need to. How's that grab you, dude? What you tell me when we're stopping? Okay, that I just did. I said, how about another ten minutes? All right, let's talk about you getting traded. What was that? Okay, no, yeah, so I said okay. Come on, let's talk about oh, your yeah. trade. Your trade to Colorado. Hey, you treat all. Hey, hey, you you treat all your guests this way. You mean awesome? Yes. Yell at them. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna call Mick and see how you treated him. Somehow I don't think so. Oh, let's. So, oh, you want? Know I hey, I called him a front runner because he's uh, he was a Bears fan his whole time with the Islanders, and all of a sudden he's in Massachusetts and he's a Patriots fan. So him and Rivers, by the way, they're both Patriots. Exactly. Fans, so I'm like, come on. Oh my goodness. So please. So the day I got traded to Colorado, is that what you want to talk about next? Yes. Okay. Do you know how that all transpired? No, that's why I want you. Well, I think you did tell me once before, but I would like you to tell the millions of people listening. <laughs> you got me with that one. Thank um, you. Thank you. So, Robbie Klein is a, is a manager. It was an equipment manager in the Halifax organization and eventually ended up with the Colorado Avalanche. And uh, he was good friends and with Mark Crawford, his coach that year. So somewhere along the way, I don't know when it was, he gave, he gives me a call out of the middle of nowhere. And he says, uh, Hey, he says, you want to come to Colorado? And I was like, what? They just won the Stanley cup. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? He says, yeah, you want to come to Colorado? Tough guy. I was like, what do you mean? He says, well, we need, we know Simon's going to go. 
Simon is going to go, and we have to. Uh, my dog's going crazy. Since you're not editing, you'll hear all that. Yeah, no so worries. Okay. Yeah, it's okay. So uh, Chris Simon is is us, and we we need a tough guy. So uh, I was talking to Crow, Mark Crawford at the time, and said, "Hey, what about Sev? Because I, you know, we go back to the times that I fought Chris Simon, mm-hmm. and, as you talked about, and I was a guy that could handle myself. So we talked about it, and you know. Little did I know that would change a lot of things for me in a lot of ways. And we talked about specific times with coaches and with the University of Alberta and with Seattle. This was one of the things that would change a lot of things of how people see me in hockey. And it was because I turned into a fourth-line goon, which I'd never, ever done before. Do you regret that? That is the question that I deal with all the time. I do. So mm-hmm. I guess I can pose a question to you. Okay. So what would happen? Let's say I don't go to Colorado. Mm-hmm. Let's say I continue to be a fifth, sixth, seventh defenseman. And I, I use Sean O'Donnell as an example, right? Mm-hmm. Here's a guy who can fight. He can stand up for guys, move the puck out effectively. But he played. He played a lot of years, right? Yeah. So for me, though, I went and I played fourth line. So when you play fourth line, guess what? You don't play. Yeah. And and you're fighting guys that are really big and really strong and you sit there and you gotta and you gotta think about this. So I had to get bigger. So I hit the weights even more, mm-hmm. boxed even more, less hockey, less playing. You know, like I said, I don't have the skills as other people have and it started to deteriorate. But without turning into a goal uh, a goon, I would have never been traded to Dallas. And I would never get my name on the Stanley Cup. Yep. But even though my name's on the Stanley Cup, I really didn't participate because I was a goon. So it's interesting. Like yeah. I went to Vegas in the summer. Guess what? The Stanley Cup was there. Guess what I can do? I can go through the line and I can go pick up the Stanley Cup and I can share it with my friends. Even to this day, I can still do that. Mm. So that's a trade-off. So I could have played probably... I don't know, five, six, seven more years and not had my name on the Stanley Cup and just been a regular stay-at-home defenseman moving the puck or I could have turned into a goon and got my name on the Stanley Cup. So what would you do? I would um, I would do what needs to be done, honestly. <laughs> no, I mean, really, because listen, the bottom line is, you know, you didn't grow up in Russia or Finland or Sweden. You grew up in Canada Hockey's a national sport. You grew up, the, and it was always the goal is the Stanley Cup. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, you're like I said before, you, you were able to do something that most of us dream about, and that's play a professional sport. And I don't know how many tens of thousands of players have ever played in the NHL. And of all those tens of thousands of players, a fraction of those players have their name on the Stanley Cup and have a Stanley Cup ring. That's, so that's the rub. If the ultimate goal is to win the cup and as you said you know as far as your participation the fact is participation isn't necessarily honest contributions and one of your qualities of your career is the off ice stuff the locker room stuff the leadership stuff so i guess the only one that really can answer that is you and how you've reconciled that oh i see how you did this you just turned it all back on me i'm not just a pretty well, face you're, you're, you're the host <laughs> <laughs> well, you're you're the host, so I guess you can, right? Yeah, of it's course. your show. It's your yeah. show. You can I mean, do whatever it, you want. My answer, 
right? You didn't like my rules about bringing in Kaminsky and all these guys because they didn't play, but right. now you just threw it back at me. My answer so, is so, uh, my answer is if if <laughs> I would have done it, if I wanted to be on, if I wanted a chance to win the Stanley Cup, I would have done it. Yeah, well, I got to see how it all operates. That's the cool thing. I really got to see what it takes to be a Stanley Cup winner and how it all comes together and how important the room is, how important each guy is, and how it all works. So it, how the parade works, how you get your rings, how you hold the Stanley Cup, you know what I mean? All that. So not too many people get that experience. I get that. I really do. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, if we could touch on a few things with uh, Colorado, uh, probably, I, I don't know if it was the thing that solidified your – I mean, obviously you knew what your role was going to be. Oh, my God, yeah. But in the early season, early season game, do you remember the game against Anaheim where you uh, – yes. Fought Carpa, Bomber, and mm-hmm. Reichel. And um, yeah. after the Reichel fight, one of the things I, I will say I'm pretty good at, and it's not a lot of stuff, but I'm pretty good at reading lips. And I remember I wrote this down. You were really pissed after the Reichel fight, and as you were being yeah. escorted off the ice, it's it looked like that he jumped me. What am I supposed to do? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> so that was... He did. Yeah. Yeah, he did. So... Uh, so I mean, is that the frustrating part of being cast in that role? Is that you have you fought Carper, you fought Bomber, and now you know one more fight, you're out. And Carper had one fight, Bomber had one fight. So now you can send out Reichel. Now he could fight you, and now you're down one guy for the rest of the game. Well, no, the, the hard part about being a goon is there that you know what's hard is is knowing like I didn't know when to fight, how to fight, when to do it. Believe it or not, there there's a there's a system to it of when to do it, how to do it. And, you know, sometimes I'd go ask a guy to fight and he'd say no. And I was like, okay. And, you know, I'd go do my thing. Yeah. And I took, I took a lot of heat for, I think it was Simpson, the defenseman for Calgary had steamrolled, um, had steamrolled Forsberg or hit him or something. And, you know, I went over and, and during the face off and I'm like, all right, let's go drop the gloves. And I called every name in the book, but he said, no. Mm-hmm. So I skated away. Do you know what I mean? I just, yeah just left him and I was like mm-hmm. okay and then after a while fans were like well why didn't you get and I was like whoa like I didn't know I I, I really didn't know yeah so, you know what I mean after a while I was like I got to do it you know you just go you, I should have went over cross-checked him and punched him in the head yeah and you know because I'd never had to do it so it was the strangest thing that there was timing to it when to do it and the sitting and thinking about it and all that that was something really unique and you know you, you probably chronicled a lot and both have talked about it of that's the hardest part is the mental aspect of waiting for your next fight. Yeah, and mm-hmm. my hands were my hands from that day from that those fights those three fights. Mm-hmm. My hands were mangled the whole season. I had to tape them up every practice. At the end of the season, I had to have surgery on my left hand yeah. to reattach to reattach my tendons and all that sort of stuff. You know, I had to actually I could not drive. I couldn't hold a uh, a pop can. Or a beer or whatever because of the swelling in my hands it was unbelievable and even to push them in in the morning into your gloves that's why i put band-aids i was putting band-aids on each knuckle so the wow. scraping that you feel yeah in there and then every fight you have to put your hands in in, in ice and all that sort of stuff so there were the wax and everything that you had to put on between games and all that and you had to just go out and fight you know um not a lot of fun no and you didn't have any help really 
uh, that year. No. I think the only time uh, that Wade Belak played is probably when you didn't, when you were hurt. I think he played five games that year, maybe? Yeah, no, that was pretty much solo. It was me, myself, and I, Dead Marsh, would played a little bit, right? Yeah. Get out there, but he was midweight. And, yeah, it, it was interesting. It was definitely an interesting, unique feeling to feel like when it goes 3-2 and then 4-2 for the opponent. You kind of feel the whole bench just kind of turn and look your way. Yeah. And, and after sitting there for a period and a half, you get to stretch out and hop on and, and go dust it off with Bob Probert or whoever, who's ever lining you up that day. So it was interesting, yeah. So um, after that season with uh, Colorado, where you had about 30-some-odd fights, you're, they leave you unprotected. Um, how did... How did that, I mean, did you take that as like a slap in the face or? Well, and here's Crow, like Mark Crawford was awesome. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know, he was a guy that if you told me go through the wall, I'll go through the wall for him. He was a, he was great to me. Mm -hmm. He was awesome because in Edmonton, he would start me, my hometown. He would start me and said, hey, Sav, we're going to start you, but get off the ice as soon as you can. Yeah. Right? So, but he would do that because he knew I had, you know, 150 people there that have come to watch me and. He would do that for us. So uh, during that time, he came to me and said, yeah, we have to put you on waivers and you're probably going to get picked up. Mm -hmm. So, But the funny part about that is, I can't remember exactly the time frame it was, but I was just moving into my apartment in Colorado and it was at the very top of a building and it, you could see the mountains and I, for whatever reason, I had put all my stuff, all, everything that I had in a shopping cart. And I was probably moving from the car back and forth. And I went up with the shopping cart in the elevator all the way to the top. And I was brought it in. And I was looking over, looked at the balcony. I was like, oh, mountains are beautiful. Yeah. And then the phone rings. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's them. And say, hey, guess what? You're going to Anaheim. So I took my cart, turned it around, <laughs> <laughs> took, it, took it back downstairs, put it back in my car, and uh, I was ready to go. Oh my god! Yeah, it's pretty pretty hilarious. Oh. But because you go back, and I go back to getting the call when I was back in Long Island. Yeah. Like I was jumping up and down when they called me. Yeah. Like I think I think Caber was there and Lindros was there, I believe, mm -hmm. in the apartment, and I was jumping up and down, high fiving people, and just like giving it, woo! I'm going to Colorado. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then you fast forward a year later, I'm going out of Colorado. What? Uh... Yeah. I was a little bitsy. Yeah. Uh, how much do you think that three-fight game against Anaheim factored into Anaheim claiming you? Uh, I'm sure it helps. You know, just like when I went from Anaheim to Dallas, there was a series of events that happened that I'm sure got me noticed. Yeah. And um, that season, you started the season like no other. Uh, what was that whole Japanese experience like? That was awesome, yes. But... So obviously the the Ducks in Vancouver are going to uh, Japan, and I just I just got waved and they picked me up. So they're getting on the plane. So I think that's how I was first introduced to the team. They're getting on the plane, and uh, everybody, Paul Korea, Solani, all these guys are going back in the cattle car, right? So they're going in the back of the plane, and whatever it was, a twelve hour flight or whatever it was, seven hour flight. I can't remember. Long flight. Everybody is going one way. And Rob Shickley was the, the travel coordinator, I believe, at that time. He comes up to me and he hands me a ticket. And I start walking that way. And he's like, well, hold on here. Uh, we don't have enough tickets for you. So you got to go. You got to first class. Oh, <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> so, 
So I am sprawled out. You know, they, you get the beds, you get the movies, you get all the stuff, and I'm laying there. I'm looking back, and Solani and the crew and <laughs> Korea are all jammed up in cattle car back there. And uh, yeah, I took a little bit of heat for that. Oh, that's awesome. You know, you yeah, deserve it. You deserve it. <laughs> yeah, thanks. I felt first time you're meeting the team and you're 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 doing old Billy Big Bucks in first class. <laughs> and uh, I believe you're on record as the first hockey fight ever in Japan. Correct, under a pool, or under a diving board, yes. It was awesome. Uh, against Big Donald. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were on top of a swimming pool, I believe, that they put the rink. Mm-hmm. So there was a diving board at one end, and uh, yeah, I think I still this day have the only fight and, Donald. And now someone, you know, you know that we're both fans of uh, MMA and, and combat sports, and you know that J- Japanese fans are notorious when they watch these combat sports that they're dead silent. They just watch it. For almost like the science of it, but I remember right. in that game the Japanese fans were pretty into your fight. Is that what it was? Yeah, I don't remember because, like I said, I was just trying to save my ass. <laughs> so I don't really, I don't really, you know, it goes quiet. You can't yeah. when you get in a fight, you can't hear anything. Like you don't. I'm looking at the guy. I'm concentrating on him. I hear his breathing. I feel his patterns. I really am thinking about where my hands are on his body and what I have to do to protect myself. I gotcha. And. Um, Later that year, you renewed your uh, little dance card rivalry with Mick Vakoda when he was now in Tampa. And uh, the cameras caught you guys chatting. uh, And I I only ask because you guys are both goofballs, and I love you both. Um, And I didn't know if there was anything fun about that or you were just... Well, sure. We it was basically just get her done and get back to the box. Yeah, not not necessarily packing it in or, or just going through the motions. Yeah, but it wasn't a duster. You know I what I mean? Mm-hmm. It wasn't back when in Spokane when he's hitting me with his cast, <laughs> trying to knock trying to knock my block off. Much different feeling for this mutual respect on both sides. Definitely. Um, now you had mentioned this: the incident um, against Dallas where it started with Ludwig uh, elbowing Timu. Can you talk about that whole thing and, and yeah. what ensued? Well, what happened was even, I think it was two or three games before, Suter had taken a run at, uh, I think it was Chicago at the time. He had taken a run at Korea and given a pretty good elbow. And I never saw it. Again, yeah. one of those situations where I didn't really know what was going on or I didn't understand or I couldn't figure it out or somehow lost in translation. So I didn't know that it happened and I didn't do anything. So I, I, you know, I could hear the chirping a little bit. So when this happens and Ludwig takes out uh, Solani with the elbow, like it is, for me, like it was just like when Sharon had uh, had uh, challenged me on the bench in Montreal. It yeah. was cuckoo cocoa puffs, right? It was full on. I didn't care who we were fighting. I don't care what was going to go on. I didn't care who was in the way. I had learned from the Simpson incident in Colorado that you do not ask anymore. This is a situation where you don't ask to fight. This is where you go and you make a statement. So this was this was going to be full on like bloody to this day. I really wish I had a piece of bloody though. Still to this day (laughs) would have loved to grab him and just fed him his lunch but never had the opportunity which was interesting. But I remember on the face off um, guys were fighting in the first one and then we get back and it's me and Reichel that are Mm -hmm. on the on the ice and I look over and Reichel is frothing at the mouth like <laughs> I his head is shaking he's all jittery and I look to see who is on the ice and I don't see a tough guy I don't see anybody who can fight and I remember sneaking up to the face-off dot 
and kind of looking at Hitchcock and going, "Do you know what's going to happen here?" Like I don't. He had no clue. I, yeah. I, he had no clue. And the poor guys that were left on the bench or on the ice, they they didn't have a chance. Like they were going to yeah. get worked because yeah. there was nobody. Like I wanted Grant Marshall to come out or somebody mm-hmm. that could at least I could grab and say, "Hey, this is." He could hold him. You know, help him, help himself by not getting his butt killed. Mm-hmm. You know, and unfortunately for them at that time, they just got worked. And then the whole thing ensued, and the benches cleared, and or not cleared, but you know, we went through line brawl after line brawl, and there was nobody left. But I had hit, I had ended up with Daryl Sador on that, mm-hmm. and uh, we felt he jumped. I had him at first. I let him go, and then he jumped on my back. Yeah. And I went nuts, and I snapped, and I pulled him off my back, threw him on the ice, and I remember to this day, uh, his helmet came off, and I punched him as hard as I could. His face was on the ice, and I punched him in the back of the head as hard as I could. You could just feel, I could just feel his head kind of squeeze together as I punched him. Like, I came from downtown. I came from, you know, Newfoundland all the way to Vancouver and just crushed him. Yeah absolutely crushed him and yeah I went back on the bus and I was sick to my stomach it was the first and only time that I was sick to my stomach that I had hit someone that hard I felt so bad for him Mm -hmm. and he's such a good guy too yeah that's for sure um and do you think that incident led to you signing with Dallas the next year yes there's no question that's part of it they saw me they knew what I could do they needed someone to protect the boys and uh they flew me in in the summer, and I had a meeting with uh, Bob Gainey. and a meeting with uh, Ken Hitchcock because they wanted to know what kind of guy I was. And it was pretty cool how they did it because they knew they had this opportunity. They had this chance, and they were missing kind of a big piece of it. Mm-hmm. was a tough guy to protect everybody else and someone who could play and be a good teammate and all that sort of stuff. So they threw me in, and guess who? Guess who was my plane mate that I sat beside for the entire year? But Daryl Sador. That was my next question. Do you have a conversation with him to start yes. the season? Yeah, it was hilarious because you step in and, you know, you're kind of, it's like, if you go back, I don't know about you, uh, in grade 12, you go to a dance and you want to ask a girl out and you're kind of feeling a little bit, you know, shy and you're looking at the floor and you don't know what to do and you're you're nervous and that's yeah. kind of how it was, you know. Yeah. Both of us were looking at the ground and shake hands and, and then after a while it was like the big joke and everybody was fine and he's such a good guy and such a warrior and you knew after playing with them you know why he did that he was there trying to help protect his teammate yeah and he would he, he did it a couple times so pretty good stuff yeah and now that season of course you had a tremendous fight with bob prober yep so you mind uh, talking about that yeah that was a, you know and that's that's the way it was but a lot of guys during that year and just but it's funny you see him out there you get in there and you get into him and the biggest thing with Probert is that, you know, he's, he's, he's taller, he's lanky, but you don't realize how strong he is. He was really strong because yeah. most guys I didn't have trouble with. Most guys I grabbed, and I was usually a guy that I could control the fight. Uh, but with him, he was much stronger, and, and he, had the, he had the boxing sound, so I, I was timing his punches. You could hear that every time he threw a punch. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was how I was trying to time his punches, and, and I said – I remember in the fight, he was throwing rights, I was throwing rights, and I was waiting for it, and I heard that, and I was like, I'm going to switch left on this. I'm just going to go for it. Yeah. So I threw, threw a couple lefts, and, uh, but then he hit me with one and knocked me down. So that, that was it. So it was pretty cool. As you can tell by the reaction, if you watch it on YouTube, I was pretty jacked up to get that fight. 
and uh, the fans and the fans in Dallas love their fighters. Yeah. And they love you know obviously their scores, but they really have an appreciation for their tough guys. Yeah, as they should, as they should. Yeah, as every team pretty much, right? Yeah. Now and after the Prober fight, you just fought small guys the rest of the year. Uh, Stu Grimson, <laughs> George LaRock twice, yes. and Steve McKenna. So why'd you pick on all these little guys? Yeah, exactly. That's that's <laughs> you know it was crazy. It really was crazy, and it, that is by far. Even if I go back to breaking my back in Halifax, this was the toughest year of my life for sure. There was just a ton of stuff going on, and not playing and fighting all those guys. And I got injured, and my neck and my hands, and I just couldn't heal. Yeah, I could, I could not yeah. heal. So it was a very, very difficult time for me. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's what I mean. Like, I, you know, I went, we won the Stanley Cup, but I went through this difficult year, the toughest year of my life. There's no question about that. But at the end of it, you know, I won the Stanley Cup, so I could see all these cool things, but really not part of it, you know? Yeah. How how did you end up playing three games in Michigan in the IHL uh, that year? Because, yeah, I jacked up my neck, I think it was. Yeah. And it may have been because it, it was the fight before, or the a few days before I fought The Rock. Okay. Because I, I hurt my neck, I couldn't play, and they sent me down for three days, and then I came back, and that's when I had the first fight with LaRock, and I missed my grab. Okay. I remember that I missed my grab on the left, and then he pumped me, and I was like, son of a gun, i got to go back and fight him again. So mm-hmm. I went back and fought him the second time, which no one remembers. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got worked on the first one. Uh, yeah, I almost didn't remember it, so... Yeah, thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. See? <laughs> well, See, this is what I'm talking about. During during your no, I'm just kidding. Of course, during your time in Michigan, though, were you? Did you find yourself to be a no. target? No, which no. constrains everybody left me alone, which was nice. I got yeah. to play again, and I thought I would. You know what I mean? But I don't think the teams we played, and I remember, but yeah. they, they didn't have any super super heavyweights. I know there was guys out there that probably would have tested me. Yeah. But, yeah, like, I, I really didn't want to fight the minors. You know what I mean? Yeah, I didn't no, want to fight for mm-hmm. the sake of fighting the minors So obviously, that point. Obviously, we've spoken about it a few times now about the Stanley Cup. So um, is, uh, I, I'm still not sure. Was was the whole thing bittersweet? Were you able to enjoy any of it? I mean... Oh, my God, yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah, as you go through it, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I remember sitting, you know, it was it was game. It was in Buffalo. The game before we were supposed to win it, my dad was there, and I had my friends there. But I remember sitting with my dad on the patio, and, you know, I'd, I'd done nothing that day. We went for a skate, the Black Aces skated, mm-hmm. and we did it. And I said, hey, we have an opportunity We have an opportunity to win the Stanley Cup tonight. You know what I mean? And we were talking about it, and it's like, oh, yeah, but you know, I, don't, I don't really feel part of it. I don't, you know, he says, just go and enjoy it and have fun and, and just, you know, take it all in. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's exciting. And it was cool. It was cool to see, and if everybody remembers, it was Brett Hall scoring that overtime winner where his foot was in the crease and all yeah. that. And, mm-hmm. and But it was, it was crazy. And like I said, to be able to see how it all works, you know, the guy, the trainers having the garbage bags for all your stuff to put in your equipment, you know, because the, all of a, it's going crazy. Mike Keene staying in his equipment for four hours, uh, how they take pictures, how the family interacts, what's going on with all the TV crews. And it was to see, you know what I mean? Like, that's stuff that people will never get a chance to see, and I was able to be a small part of it. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm, I'm happy to hear that, because as we were yeah. talking, I kind of, I remember I it know, happening, yeah. and, and I remember you being excited about it, but as we're talking, I'm like, man, I, I really hope you got as much out of it as you could. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? I think all of us, I was just watching a thing on Walter Payton, I think mm-hmm. it was, 
who Chicago, I think he was with them, and they yeah. were talking about he never, he didn't get a carry in the Super Bowl to get a touchdown. Right. His team went, his Chicago team went on, and everybody talked about the Fridge Perry mm-hmm. and all that. Yep. So he was a little disenchanted, a little bitter about not being able to help. Right. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. he's being interviewed in their show. He's a little bit emotional, too, as well. So, And that's what I mean. Like, am I being spoiled because I went through it all, but I wanted to be a part of it? And that's, that's as always, you know what I mean? I, yeah. I'm glad that I was part of it. But I don't feel like even now when they celebrate, they do all these things. I'm mm-hmm. not really. I never call myself a Stanley Cup champion. I'm always a guy who played on the Stanley Cup winning Dallas Stars. That's the way I read it out. All right. Well, when someone I, says you're a Stanley Cup champ, I'm not because I didn't play. You know what I mean? I understand, but I'm I'm sure yeah. every guy in that locker room you know, appreciates your contribution that season. Yeah. No, I, so. did, I did a small part, no question. So what a lot of people don't realize is that you you. Uh, you won the Stanley Cup, but then even bigger, the next season you were the German Elite League champion, also. Yes. With the now Munich- that, now that was cool. <laughs> I no, mean, I'm telling you, that was cool. So that's that's what I wanted to know. What led to your decision to go play in Germany? Uh, I was done. I, uh, I Joe Newendike and the boys wanted me to sign with Dallas, but Hitchcock and the crew would not sign me. Mm-hmm. So I was out of a job. So I had nowhere to go. So I asked around, and where do I go? And I knew. One of the things I wrote down when I was younger is that when I was done playing in the NHL, I wanted to go to Europe mm-hmm. and play. So I found this team in Munich, and somehow it worked out where they had a lot of Canadian guys, a lot of American guys. They are a pretty good team. And I was able to come in, and I was able to be the Mike Keane that the Dallas Stars had who, who controlled everything, that made sure everybody was taken care of. And as you did these things, he was the voice of reason along with Carboneau and yeah. Brian Scrudlin. We had so many leaders, but I was able... To use what I saw Keener do mm-hmm. to help the Stars win the Stanley Cup, I was able to do with this team and play. I got back to playing defense, and I played a lot. Yeah, and uh, I was a tough guy. I, you know, I still played tough, but I didn't have to fight as much. And I, I was a really, uh, I was one of the reasons that they won the the whole championship. And that, to me, kind of was my Stanley Cup. Oh, that's great. And that's it's yeah, it's one of the things that I'm most proud of uh, to be able to go and be the guy that was the catalyst to get things going because when things got tough there I was able to relive some of the experiences that I saw Keener and how they handled it and all those guys so it was pretty cool that's tremendous for me thanks buddy I appreciate that so you would rank that ahead of going all the way to Germany to fight Sergio Momesso <laughs> it's part of that was the reason I was there was to fight Sergio <laughs> it seriously was Sergio was just running Ruckshaw through the league like yeah. he was scaring people you know what I mean? And I was like, what? <laughs> but yeah, he was a great guy. You know what I mean? I got yeah. to know him a little bit, but I was like, what? And so the people in Munich, the team was so happy. They said, before you came, this poor guy just abused everybody. That's he crazy. Said, the, minute, the minute you came, it all ended. Oh my God, that's tremendous. So yeah, uh, how about that? your final season in Germany, you go to uh, Krefeld. Krefeld, uh, yeah. Krefeld, sorry. Uh, I never heard of Krefeld before you went there. Obviously, everyone's heard of Munich, but uh, I never heard of Krefeld. Um, and you played another 56 games, 113 PIMS, 18 penalty yeah. minutes. And you were reunited with an old teammate there from Utica. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Jeff Christian. The Jughead, yes. He was there. <laughs> that must have been pretty there. cool. Yeah, it was interesting, but... That was, you know, you hear all these horror stories about Europe and yeah. the things that go on. Yeah, they were going on there. 
So okay, just just nonsense, absolute nonsense going on. And the final straw. It's the reason that I retired. Was the final straw was one day I was coming to the rink and I continued to be the first one there. And I look over and the trainer, he's got a smoke in one hand, he's got a Mickey bottle in the in the other in his pocket, and he's doing skates. But the sound that his <laughs> skates were making, because you know it's like you're supposed to hear a little zzz yeah. as he goes across. We, I was hearing a zzz 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 zzz. Oh. <laughs> zzz, 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 zzz. Every time he went across, so he was hammered. Oh. He was smoking, and he was doing our skates, and oh. it was just—it was an absolute horror. It was fun again. I, Christian Ehrhoff was a defense partner that I got to work with. Eventually, ended up playing in the National Hockey League, so that was fun. And there was there were so many different things going on, but. But yeah, that's I, I saw that and I was like, you know what? It's time. It is time to shut her down. All right. We have three more questions. And then again, thank you so much for your time. I got three more for you. Um, okay, you're, so, you're so welcome. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I, I've known about you, you know, being your friend for so long, is how important it is for you to get involved in the community of the team that you're playing with. It's. Uh, I, I remember Greg told me about that with Florida, and then I saw it firsthand when you were here with the Islanders that they don't even have to ask you. Like, you jump at the opportunity to yeah. go do stuff in the community, especially when it has to do with children. Why is that so important to you? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know why it is. I it just, you know, and that's, I still do it to this day. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do all my broadcast stuff, and I work for Fox, and I do all the Stars game pre and post stuff. But I still, like even today, I was on the ice. I, I trained a bunch of adults on the ice for an hour and a half. And then I had a little uh, 12-year-old out there, and we were working on stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's smiling and having a great time, and you know what I mean? I, I get more out of it than the kids, I think. I really do. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think it just goes down to seeing that smile. I, you know, that's that's what I love. I love when I can make people laugh, you know, like this. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I get a giggle when you get a giggle. Yeah. And to make someone laugh is important to me. And the kids, they need, just like my kids, I try to be a good father, but they need other mentors. Mm-hmm. They just do. You know what I mean? That's just the way it is. Yeah, and uh, I think that's the reason that I do it. it. It makes me happy. It just does. It always has. Yeah, I mean, I know, like I said, when you were here, and just knowing you, I mean, you've, you know, I'm not not that you're one to pat yourself in the back, but you know, you you should know that you touched so many people, so many kids, you know, over the over the years you're playing. So I mean, uh, it's one good thing that you know you had the platform, you had the position to do it, and. I'm sure you made a lot of kids' days uh, when you were a player, so that's uh, very commendable. And, and that's what I mean. It's so easy. Yeah. It's so easy to do. You know, you just walk. If a kid sees you and he recognizes you and he's excited to see you, go over and say hi and yeah. makes his day. You know, yeah. even now, like it's been 20 years since I've played for the Stars, yeah. and even now, people still bring me pictures and stuff when they were kids. Yeah. And they show me, yeah, I remember when you sat down, and I was like, yeah, that's great, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's pretty awesome. It's something that we can, you can do at, at any time. You don't have to be a, a player or anybody. You know, whatever you do, go and help kids, man. It's, yeah. it's a pretty cool thing. And, and everybody listening should know that. When I say kids, I also include myself in that, too. So, uh, you know, I'm a big goofball, <laughs> and, and we always have a fun time. So, um, since retiring, I don't think you know how to rest. I mean, you've done a lot of things since you've retired could you just run off some of the things you've done uh well yeah i've been a radio broadcaster i had at one point i had my own gym here in texas i've done tv uh just i've run around i did the paralympics one time on television whatever i've done all kinds of things you know i I just i just want to keep busy and and do stuff and uh i don't know it's 
it because again NHL's a, a afforded me the ability to have these opportunities come to us and the further you get away from it the harder they get again but initially you know it's when I was 19 I wrote down everything I wanted to do after hockey I wanted to you know I wanted to be a broadcaster I wanted to run a gym I wanted to write a book I was I, I would still like to do a movie do you know what I mean yeah things like that you just write down what you want to do after hockey because I knew my my career would not be that long and I wouldn't make enough money where I could just golf every day too so still got to work still got to do that sort of stuff but doing all right and living pretty good because of it all right final question this is a fun question okay oh geez well they've been tough so far <laughs> you have you so better edit this down is all i gotta say mike milberry randy yep. carlisle and ken hitchcock are drowning and you have one <laughs> life preserver who are you throwing it to uh let's see um Robbie Fatoric. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the answer I was expecting. There you go. No, so. God, no. Even, even what I mean, even all the junk you've been through, there's just people are people, and if they don't treat people right, you know what I mean, or yeah. you, because you know what's funny, and, and Randy Carlyle is probably one of my least favorite people. Yeah. But you know what was interesting? After they won the Stanley Cup, the next year they came back. It was so strange because. We were talking to the people that, you know, there's one guy that goes with the Stanley Cup and he goes around all with the cup to all these different players and, and mm -hmm. they do a day with the cup, right? Yeah. And it was funny. He said, we asked him, well, who, who is the best guy? Who's the nicest guy? Who do you think he said? Randy Carlisle. Randy Carlisle. <laughs> and I fell off my chair. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it was great, though. Yeah. So you just never know. Just people don't mesh with other people, and that's the way it works sometimes. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I... I haven't met anyone that meshed with Mike yet, so that's why I was uh, I was just curious. Well, Keith Jones on air doesn't it? NBC don't they mesh together? I don't know. I don't. Uh, I don't watch that. I watch the. You know me. I watch the Islanders a little bit. I can't watch the. I can't watch Milbury. Is that what you? You got more rules. You got more rules than. <laughs> I don't know. It's just not interesting to me. It's not. In, I don't need I to watch the rules. Back in the day, no shit. Nineteen eighty-eight. If Winnipeg is playing Minnesota. I'm up. I'm watching it. Nowadays, if it's not the Islanders, I can't watch it. Holy junk. You just took us back in 1988. You like that? Nice. Yeah. You like that? And notice how I said Minnesota, and I meant the North Stars and not the Wild. <laughs> there you go. Well, <laughs> this concludes it, Sevi. This, I, I know. Oh, you better edit it. Uh, hey, send it to me. I'll edit it. A half hour ago, a half hour ago, you said 10 minutes. So I, I, know. I appreciate I your tolerance of my lack of math skills, but I really... <laughs> Really, really appreciate your time. And uh, is there anything I le I did not remember about your career? No, I think we covered it. For the love of Mary, send it to me. I'll edit it for you, and then we can put it out. How's that, grab <laughs> That's my standing offer. I'll cut this thing up. It'll be like twenty-five minutes tops. No, I don't want that. You got a bad attitude. There's your rules. <laughs> See. The <laughs> I, I can't handle your rules. So, oh. Okay, that's it. I'm out of here. <laughs> well, listen, thank you again. I love you to death, and have a great night. Thanks, buddy. Always great to talk to you. All right, see you later.